ago, one man had a vision. It began here, and it would change our world. As the vision grew, we cheered it on. Stood in awe. Held onto our seats. And gave up our hearts. The boyhood dream has come true. We watched with utter disbelief. He won't do the Stunned silence. And sheer amazement. But above all, we've been inspired and enriched by the vision. Welcome to WrestleMania! Sometimes things are so special in your life that words cannot explain. The history alone in that place makes Madison Square Garden special. My family's gonna come there. My wife, my mom, my dad, my daughter. Everything that I've ever wanted out of life comes down to this one day, this one short period of time. My passion, the thing you dream about and consumes you. People are gonna remember this forever. People will say, you know, that match was worth coming back for. You haven't lived, you haven't breathed until you've danced at WrestleMania. Tonight will be like no other. Tonight is the showcase of the immortals. They will achieve the impossible and forge new beginnings. Tonight, men will hunt down their dreams. Tonight, no one holds back. And tonight is where it all begins. Again. And now, Raw and SmackDown present WWE WrestleMania 20, where it all begins again. So, next up, Coach is backstage asking people as to the whereabouts of The Undertaker, but finds Gene Oakland in a closet with Bobby Heenan. Heenan has lipstick all over his face. They explain that they were playing poker. Then <laughs> Fabulous Moolah and Mae Young emerge and drag them back into this little closet compartment. Don't really know what it is. It's a strange it's a strange little slidey door thing which they've been pulled behind. I didn't want to run the risk of going all mad about this. This was absolutely shit. <laughs> what was the point in this? I, I'm a big fan of Heenan and Mean Gene, but this was absolutely crap. Like, it's just so... It's just I didn't understand. And furthermore, I think this is the last we see, isn't it, of coaches hunt for the big show mm-hmm. so is the entire purpose <laughs> hunt behind for that the pre- big show <laughs> yeah sorry hunt for the undertaker hunt for the red october <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. you find that I'll tell you what may young's crotch of it was the red october <laughs> um, <laughs> um but they yeah so the, the basically the whole reason behind them Basically, the Eric Bischoff sending coach on the hunt for the Undertaker is to do this segment. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I realised that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realise that until just now. So that's yeah. why. I, yeah, no part. mention of it again. It would have been better if at the segment ended and then Mae Young just reached her arm round and just grabbed Jonathan Coachman into the thing, and then that would have been that would have been funny. Yeah, that is what I I didn't understand. 
why that didn't happen. Because yeah. like, like you said, it's not funny at all. For a start, Mean Gene and Bobby can't really act. Like Bobby's obviously had his health thing the year leading up to this, and it's not very well. And I'm just like, why are they doing this? But May Young, old, old Red October, she's the only one who can pull this off because she's funny. It would have been funnier if it had been both of them. And she'd have then grabbed the coach, I think. Imagine if The Undertaker and Mae Young did a sex take. It could be the, it could be the, the hunt for Booger Red October. <laughs> <laughs> I assume maybe that the reason they didn't have Coach go in there with them is that they had an intention for Coach to do more backstage stuff and had to cut it for time constraints, maybe. Mm, I mean, it's maybe. a fucking long show. So maybe they were like, oh, we're going to have to drop the Coach hijinks backstage. <laughs> Please drop the fucking second tag team match, which is second four way tag team match, which is exactly the same as the first one. Hey, mate, uh, that's six minutes of gold. Welcome once again to the Random Wrestling Review. We are knees deep in the WrestleMania series now as we reach the halfway point, sort of, with WrestleMania 20, where it all begins again. Although it doesn't all begin again. We're not going back to WrestleMania 1 in two weeks' time. We will be covering WrestleMania 21, don't worry. And that tagline is an at one for today's episode, as today we are joined by a man who's been away for exactly seven months. Today he returns. It is, of course, the bold, old and gold Sam Carey. How are you doing, Mr. Old Man? Hello, Tinky. I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me back. I'm a bit disappointed that I offer my availability for many other episodes. And you said, only if you get on your knees, Sonny Jim. And I said, I'm not Jim. And I found a man called Jim who was someone's son. And they sucked you off and you still wouldn't let me on. And then I had to suck you off. And we still didn't didn't let you on. on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and just for the record, it was WrestleMania 2 I wanted to get on to. And I've been trying ever since. Now, honestly, lovely to be back, especially with you, Tinky. Not sure about the other guy we got on today, but we'll see. Yes, because that other guy is... Well, I mean, to be honest, I've got nothing else for you, Tom. It's just Tom Smith. That's what mm-hmm. it is. Even I, my tone of voice was bored by... You know, by yeah. <laughs> Do you know what the, the funny thing is? All I've been doing is I've been thinking about like subtle digs to give an old man throughout the entire show. So, you know, little things that, you know, he's been off to, you know, have a failed hair transplant and, you know, all this <laughs> other stuff, which obviously hasn't worked. But the one thing I wouldn't want to say, and I'll quickly want to bring, you know, bring, the, bring the listeners behind the curtain a second, Tinky, because I think it's about time that we actually really reveal the truth as to why old man's been missing for the last seven months. And it's because we all know he lost his smile. <laughs> oh, lovely. He appears to have back now, so let's get cracking, shall we? He lost his smile and then tried to cover it up by saying that, you know, he'd had an injured arm and he could no longer press the buttons that were needed in order to come onto Skype. And just after this, I'm going to feign a back injury and go missing for four years, then make a triumphant return, which I still think is the case. I still don't trust that he had a back injury, Shawn Michaels. Interesting. No. Well, what, what what have you been up to, old man? It's been seven months exactly as this. Is uh, it? So this recording is seven months mm. exactly after the last time we recorded. So what have I done? Well, I've done some uni work. I've avoided doing some uni work. I've got engaged. I've moved house. I've done hundreds of shits, like hundreds of shits. Did one five minutes before we came on. It was a little bonus episode. And uh, yeah, just living life, really. It's been busy. But I've got to be honest, say this to Tommy. So this to you as well, Tinky, when we saw each other. I've missed this. 
Mm. I've missed this chatting into the void of six or seven people listening every fortnight. Just listen to my inane ramblings. It's bloody good to be back. And it also means that I've almost done with uni. So I was going to say, so aside from all this shit, so you've basically done nothing then? I mean, that procrastinating is not nothing. <laughs> I mean, that is exhausting, to be honest. It is more exhausting and than doing stuff. Yeah, quite honestly, because you make it hard on yourself. You're hard you on yourself. You get stressed out, don't you? You get stressed out. You have a wank yeah. to calm yourself down, and then you've got the clean-up from that to deal with. It's just... Uh... On, yeah. on, another, on another note, right, so we moved this recording from, yes, uh, we were going to have it on Wednesday originally because mm. I, I needed to move it because it was originally going to be on Monday, then we changed it to Wednesday, now we moved it to Tuesday. The reason we've changed it from Wednesday to Tuesday is Tom's got tickets to see Beyonce, as I understand it, that right? That's correct, me and my wife are going to Cardiff tomorrow to watch Beyonce. Yeah, see, so you, and you got those tickets kind of last minute, like three, four days ago, whatever. Yeah. And I do not understand how you have a life in which you are able to organize to go see Beyonce in Cardiff middle of the week when you have a baby. It's called having parents who have just come back from holiday who are desperate to spend time with their granddaughter. <laughs> it was all perfect timing. It was all perfect. But I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because I just wanted to I got something to, to show you guys, a sign of my appreciation for you moving it. Uh, so last minute. So um, what I've done is I've compiled a list of wrestlers who have been transformed into desserts. <laughs> oh, excellent. So, excellent. I thought I'd quickly go through them. I must admit, I'm pretty sure there are a couple of replications because I think I've done a food one before. So, if there are a couple of replications, then I apologize. But the first one Bad News Brownie. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Randy Torton. I yeah. think he's been used before. And I think Eric Biscoff has been used before. Uh, <laughs> Leaping Lanny Profiterol. <laughs> um, toffee Apollie Dangerously. That is, that is Apollie. Yeah. <laughs> Sexual chocolate cake. <laughs> chocolate from Don Harris. Short Brad Armstrong. <laughs> Chris Jellico. Morangi <laughs> Savage. <laughs> That's a good one. That was good. Jim Cornetto. Easy. Easy that one really. Victoria Sponge Cake. Um Sticky Toffee Padino Bravo. <laughs> Nutella Blanchard. Uh, the Hollywood, the Hollywood blondies. Um, <laughs> Adam, <laughs> Adam Cole sorbet. This <laughs> 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 is starting to get a bit rough now, but I hope it picks up towards it. Um, full blooded, the, the full blooded Italian meringues. <laughs> Red velvet cake. Cool, now this is a mouthful. Um, Soraya Lee chocolate gato. <laughs> and the last one is creme brulee the barber beefcake. <laughs> I mean, in first, that's true, but. How have you not got Brett Tart on there? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or Bruce Tart. Or Owen Tart. Any of them. Jim, the Avon Knight Tart. That's it. If we can think of more, that would be that would be great throughout the show. Because um, oh. that was where I got to it. And I basically did all of these during one particularly boring match on the card that we're about to watch. WrestleMania 20. Let's get to it. And expectations. So let's let's go with old man. What were you what were you expecting here? And I'm thinking of changing the name of this bit, by the way. I'm thinking of just calling it. Um, what were you expecting from this show that we're reviewing <laughs> this week? <laughs> Catchy. Yeah, much, yeah, much more pithy, I think. I'll be honest. I was expecting this to be crap. First of all, another peep behind the curtain, you little perverts. So I was chatting to Tommy the other week. It's just after. It's just before, actually, that the stars aligned and my big comeback was arranged and the pyrotechnics were ordered. And uh, Tom said, he's like, oh, I started watching it. It's four and a half hours long. I was like, oh, fucking hell. It's about an hour later, 
found out that I'd be doing it because I offer my services. And I thought, you know what, I watched this not long ago. Realised that I couldn't remember anything about it apart from the, well, four matches. So the, the opener, the two world title matches and the Undertaker and Kane. Two of those are cracking. You can tell that just by looking at them. Two of them aren't. And then I was like, I can't remember anything else on the card at all. And it's four and a half hours. So I was expecting this to be pretty rough and pretty loaded towards the end. But I knew that pretty much the first three quarters was going to be turgid. That's what I was expecting anyway. Tom, I'm really not familiar with this WrestleMania. So I think I maybe seen it once. Um, and that kind of is probably quite telling, isn't it? But I knew I was going to feel conflicted about the main event and about what happens at the end. So I wanted to see how I felt about that. And I was also very interested to see if Brock versus Goldberg is as dreadful as I remember. I was actually quite looking forward to it. Will I like it or won't I? That's a tease. <laughs> Cream tease. <laughs> well, that's something else altogether thinking. <laughs> I'm just doing with the dessert theme. That was all. I was just... Oh, okay. 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 I, was, I was going with the cum theme, which is yeah. Sutton running in the background. But like the cum, cum running down a hill. <laughs> <laughs> down a hill or down a thigh, surely. <laughs> well, either way, they're both quite. They're on an incline. See how things have declined since Tom Man returned. We haven't. We haven't done any of this cum stuff for a long, long time. And now he's so yeah. It's better than talking about fucking saliva, isn't it? So the saliva, the body excretia, or <laughs> well, they're well, the same thing, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. So uh, my expectations for this one. So Tom, I'm going to raise your not familiar with this and go one further. I'm not absolutely certain I have ever watched this all the way through. Which well, you have is, now. Well, I have, yeah, but before Fucking this time, me. obviously, old man. Well, how do you know? I might be phoning this in. I might be like, nah, fuck it. I'll let them do the work and I'll, <laughs> I'll just come along. As if you'd but, ever let us do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I, I don't think I could trust you. The truth is, I, 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 I said a few weeks ago, um, I did record this at the time, but I remember it cut off about an hour and a half or two hours in. And it was a long show, like a four and a half hour show. I don't know whether or not that's why. I can't remember why the video recording didn't work. But anyway, oh, you did, didn't press long play, did you? No, no. Long play. What? What? what oh, that was the days, wasn't it? Those were the I days. Know. So as I was watch, as I was watching, that, I was kind of like, well, there's a lot going on here. Obviously, there's the whole Benoit stuff. There's the Guerrero stuff as well, which is, you know, equally, but not for the same reason, emotional. There is also the Goldberg Lesnar stuff. There's lots of bits and pieces to, to sort of get into. So I was actually really looking forward to it, but not at all clear on how good the show would be. One thing I was clear on is that none of these matches made it very far in our World Cup of WrestleMania that we did a couple of years ago on Twitter. And so I figured they can't be that good. And certainly if, for example, you've got Kurt Angle versus Eddie Guerrero on this show, you've got a triple threat match, you've got Triple H, Shawn Michaels and uh, Chris Benoit on the show. You thought, given those lineups, they would be really good matches and everyone would think so. And therefore, I would definitely have watched them at least once, if not more. But I can't remember having seen either of them ever. So I'm not convinced, as I say, that I ever watched this show before this time around. Did you do some analysis in your did you read anything in your book of WrestleMania? Well, you just reminded me that I probably should have done because I haven't. So maybe I'll look in at look at that during the interval and I'll see if I can pull out some tidbits from from the book. But yeah, I completely forgot about that. Imagine if I have completely out of like character for WWE, if they do like a full page like retrospective on Chris Benoit's career in that one book. <laughs> or just go the complete other way and like completely slate him and like a whole two page thing distancing themselves from him entirely. 
Oh, what you mean? Or that, and it's like, yeah, and he fucking ate crisps really loudly, and he had body yeah. odor, and yeah, yeah, you know, well, he he fucking killed his wife and kids, and he, you know, you know, like, you know, like light saliva. Light. Yeah, like yeah. saliva. <laughs> didn't know who read, didn't know. Well, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to think of another way to compare him to Matt then, and I completely shit the bed. <laughs> Well, so now I know we're all friends here, but you two, and I'm distancing myself with this, we're trying to compare Matt to Chris Benoit. <laughs> Joe, he's had a word said about him today. <laughs> to be so, talking points. Who wants to start? I'm going to, I think maybe I'll start just because I think there's only one thing really that we can start with, mainly to get it out of the way, I think, more than anything else, is the Chris Benoit of it. The whole main event victory for Chris Benoit celebration after the match. Now, this was a key thing going into this show for me was I was not expecting to have any kind of issue watching it. I just, we discussed it not too long ago, Stephen and Matt and I on the, on the pod. He didn't really mean an awful lot to me as a, as a wrestler at the time. I wasn't emotionally invested in Chris Benoit. And I think ultimately perhaps, if I kind of think about his career in retrospect, I think he was a technically good wrestler and high work rate wrestler, but not a wrestler that I think should be even, even if he hadn't done what he'd done, shouldn't be classed in the all time great group because I don't think he's, he doesn't connect with people on an emotional level in my view. And that's how I felt about him at the time. And because of that, it meant I was able to watch this match free of any kind of emotional weight now obviously i know what he did but i i'm just completely able to separate the performer and the the persona that he plays on on screen and it doesn't really it just doesn't I, i'm just it just just this disconnect between who he is and what he did and then what he does on screen and i still feel that way but i know other people won't feel the same way and i can understand why so did it did either of you feel like you watching this it was like oh i don't like this i yeah it was not for me it's weird so i I finished watching it last night and obviously i knew what was coming up i knew what was happening and i just i was watching it and eddie comes into the ring and they have the uh embrace and there's like a you know obviously they've got all the ticker tape and stuff like that coming down and and i i all of a sudden i got this like feeling in my stomach and i was like what is that like how do i feel because i don't know and also it was ultimately it was just profound sadness I actually felt through that entire process. I thought what absolute, absolute tragedy um, has bef- befallen both of these people for very for different reasons. You know, Eddie Guerrero's early passing due to the fact that obviously he, you know, had quite a few addiction issues. And then obviously all of the repeated head trauma that Chris Benoit went through. And I'm not using that as an excuse or anything, but then, and obviously I don't know if you guys have seen like the dark side of the ring, you know, the, the Benoit and Guerrero thing, but it kind of paints a picture of Chris Benoit being a man like riddled with, with grief and sadness and obviously severe mental health and just awful, you know, awful um, actions that come as a result of that. And I just felt incredibly sad and I didn't feel sad because Benoit was dead. Obviously, I felt sad because of how, you know, the last couple of months of his life and ultimately the final, you know, hours and, and days of his life and, and the ramifications I had to his entire family. And I just felt, yeah, I just felt really, really sad at the end of that. I didn't feel disgusted. I didn't feel happy, which I think in the past I maybe would have done. I think I would have fallen into the narrative, you know, that the, the, the WWE had set, you know, at that point. But, yeah, no, I just I just watched it and I just felt incredibly, incredibly sad at the end of it. 
when we we covered a Benoit match, the first one we covered, and I didn't really enjoy. I wasn't able to enjoy it because I think I did have a quite understandable hang up on it, and I was a bit like, because it was the first time that I properly watched one of his matches since I think I consciously watched it and I didn't enjoy it this time I didn't really have any issue with it I didn't really have any problem with watching it and to be perfectly honest for a split second when Triple H taps out at the end and that ovation hits it popped me just for a split second and then I realized like oh this actually happened obviously the events that happened happened afterwards but in a weird way I didn't mind that I'd kind of popped for it because I wasn't watching it thinking about that stuff like to be honest if it was that much of a hang-up for me then I wouldn't have watched it I'd have just skipped it and I'd have done it from memory and just explained to you boys before like I'm not watching it but a bit like I think you were trying to get it together I separate because also to your point I didn't really give a shit about him, to be brutally honest. Didn't care about him. He never connected with me at all. He reminds me of one of the worst periods in WWE that I can remember, which is 2004, which is obviously this year. After this mania, I think it's turgid for about a year and a half. But because of that, I don't have any connection to it. But the moment that it's been created through video before the main event is phenomenal like absolutely phenomenal and it's so well done that it wasn't so much that you kind of wanted Chris Benoit to win it was the fact that you didn't want Triple H and Shawn Michaels to win because they were positioning those guys as these egomaniacs basically and Lola mentions it early on in the commentary so you've got to get past these egos so it was the underdog story that kind of hooked me but it's such a phenomenal match that I don't really think about it until afterwards and like you said Tommy when there's the embrace at the end between Chris Benoit and Eddie it was brutal watching it I can't be honest it was absolutely horrible I was just like flaming heck because one way or another like you hear the stories about them like on the road together like they basically caused each other's deaths in a weird way because of how far they were pushing each other to get to this night and it's probably this night that contributed in a large part to both of their deaths because obviously Eddie is juiced to the gills he's apparently I was reading about this like he's pretty much done at this point Guerrero like he's pretty much happy to retire and walk away Benoit like we've watched the match between him and Regal from an event that I can't remember now off the top of my head and they are killing each other in that match and we all said at the time like how much we enjoyed it and then you realize that this is however many years later and he's still doing that stuff like he's still really punishing himself there isn't a huge amount of that in this match but that image at the end of those two hugging really brought that home and i just thought oh well i mean that interestingly that regal match was actually after this it was in 2006 was it really yeah it was about about a year and a half after this wow um, yeah some time after it but 
I mean, you're right in terms of the end bit. So actually, I had a thing about Eddie Guerrero specifically whilst he's wrestling, but obviously you see him at the end here. Eddie, he looks really rough. I think Eddie does. Guerrero does. I think he looks really rough. He's he's huge. He's absolutely massive, but he's also white and he's got very kind of red kind of skin patches everywhere. Blotchy skin, effectively, just looks really ill in general. And um, the blonde highlights don't help either. That, that's true. That's true. <laughs> But like just yeah, just in general, he looks really ill. And and Benoit doesn't look much better, to be honest. He also doesn't, you know, he's also you know, much more muscular than he really should be. And and again, you know, he does the, in this match, he does one of the things that obviously was a major contributing factor to his kind of concussion problems, which was the the flying headbutt. Which, for example, Harley Race, who invented the moves, has said many times that she hadn't because of the damage it did to Benoit, Dynamite Kid, various other people. And I'll say, listen, I say it again, Daniel Bryan should stop fucking doing it given also that he's had issues himself in the past yeah. so yeah that bit kind of yeah that that bit is the is the is the kicker i think is right at the end when you see them together but in terms of the match it's really interesting that you said oh man that you liked it because before before we before i watched it we were had a little bit of a chat about who was going to do this episode and that's why you came in old man and matt who was originally going to get scheduled to do it was kind of happy that he didn't wasn't going to be on the show because he said oh it's rubbish and there's only one good match so when going into this, I was that kind of did temper my enthusiasm for the show, and I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> this match is amazing. This match is really yeah. fucking good. Like right from the start, there's some really interesting innovations with the the triple threat setup here. The bit where one that I really like, where Triple H effectively charged Benoit into the ring post, and Shawn Michaels then did a a, a baseball slide on him. I just thought that's that's just that's Love just great. That. Really Love, really good. Love that. What makes that so good is that it's not a ridiculously over-the-top, premeditated, high-flying aerial spot. That's such a simple spot, and it's brilliant, isn't it? Mm. It's not, it's not convoluted. It, that's the point. It's not convoluted. It's, it, you could see it happening naturally. Yeah, and there's the bit where um, Benoit is in like the Tree of Woe, and Triple H whips Shawn Michaels into him, and stuff like that. It's just yeah, really cleverly done, isn't it? Mm. I think so. I think it's really well done. And there's there's it's great intensity throughout. They use again, they use the triple threat dynamic here to great effect to get people the rest they need to keep the pace really high, which is something that they do in most triple threat matches. But here I thought they did it really well. The only thing that didn't quite work for me in this match was the bit which they were really going for is right towards the end where basically they both suplex Burnmar through the, t- the table. And now Shawn Michaels is saying, come on, Triple H, come on, come again in the ring. Let's do this. They were going for epic there. They were hoping the fans were going to get they're like off their feet and like really get excited and they don't it falls it falls flat because people aren't there to see them to wrestle again they've been in a feud for goodness knows how long first match was obviously SummerSlam 2002 and they're still in this feud 18 months later but they're there to see Chris Benoit win the match and so that falls on its face a little bit but the rest of it is is just it's really 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 good stuff but I thought there was a bit of an issue with the match in in the in the fact that it's two baby faces to one hill and even though there is a notable desire from the crowd to see Benoit win there still are pockets of people who want Shawn Michaels to win and I think that kind of alters the dynamic of a little bit of a match. I think about it, I compare it to the triple threat match at WrestleMania 30 with Daniel Bryan and Batista and, and Randy Orton. And the support is unequivocal for Daniel Bryan. And it's not 100% there for Benoit. It's it's there about, I'd say about 80%, 80 to 90% is there for Benoit. But I feel like if they had 
if they were going to do the triple threat match, I do kind of think that maybe they should have. I mean, by the fact by the fact that he's not Chris Benoit, Shawn Michaels is a little bit of a, a heel in this match because of that. But it, I do wonder if if they had a if they had like a, a heel in there and really had in theory that the the odds stacked against Benoit even more, then it could have garnered like a greater reaction reaction from the crowd. See, I actually don't agree on that because. I thought that it worked beautifully because if you watch the video package, they are not positioning Shawn Michaels as a face. Like the crowd are individuals who are choosing to react like that. I think they're not really doing that. And what you said, Tinky, about the bit where Benoit goes through the table and then Shawn Michaels and Triple H then going and going it, that's designed to do one thing and one thing only, and that's to garner that part when Chris Benoit breaks out the pin. That's what it's designed to do i can't really add anything to about the triple folks i think they master it i don't think anyone's done it better but you've got earl in there being an absolute legend like absolutely dynamite and they do this very important thing and you know i'm a stickler for the rules so there's a fair few submission holds chris benoit puts on one of the worst sharpshooters i've ever Mm -hmm. seen but then when he gets hit morphs into a semi-decent one thankfully but there's no rope break because they don't ever get to the ropes and it means that earl's not put in a position where he has to call a rope break because undoubtedly they probably bloody would have they'd have been in his ear going oh call the rope break call the rope break there's a lovely bit where triple h stops Shawn michael's hand from tapping which i i remember very vividly which is wonderful Mm. one thing i never really understood why didn't Shawn michaels just say i quit and then it's like you don't need to tap out, does he? <laughs> That's a good, very good point. Very good point. Um, the uh, video package, which you discussed mm. earlier, man, is amazing, and the highlight in it is definitely the tantrum that Triple H has when she, when Stone Cold Steve Austin adds Shawn Michaels to the Triple Threat match. It is tremendous. It is all hair and spit. It's absolutely yeah. phenomenal work from Triple H. And uh, as 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 we go through this podcast and we've watched like all the Triple H matches. His hair is amazing. His hair is a character in and of itself. Absolutely wonderful hair. And to be fair, he looks better without it. I think we could probably all agree with that. But in terms of selling, there's not a better seller in the business at this time than Triple H's hair. Well, also his his twin brother, uh, Triple H's twin, sorry, Triple H's hair's twin brother is also on this show on top of Greg Valentine's head. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Can we talk? So uh, there's a couple of things about Triple H's appearance in this I wanted to kind of discuss. First of all, a lovely little white boot he's on. White boots. I was going to say that. Yeah. White, boots. white boots. You know, you know, it's a specific era of Triple H when he's wearing his crap little white boots. His tan is absolutely phenomenal. And did anybody notice just how dry he looked? So no. historically, you know as part of his entrance, he comes hmm. down to the ring and he pours water over his head, doesn't he? And he obviously hmm. didn't do that. And he looks proper dry. He looks like you know, if you go to the cinema and they've got like the hot dogs on those racks that spin around, he looks like one that's been on there for a little bit too long. <laughs> Maybe it's been dropped on the floor and quickly wiped off and put back on oh, there. Dear. And it was it was really weird because I thought maybe he's maybe he, the reason he didn't pour water is because he's just applied the fake tan and didn't want to end up like the Joker in the 1989 Batman film when Kim Bastard throws water in his face and it all drips down his face. So maybe that's why. Maybe he'd watch that and thought, oh, I don't want any of that happening. So I'm going to come and wrestle really dry tonight. <laughs> no, I mean, I thought, I thoroughly enjoyed this match. I thought it was very, very good. And as I said, I don't think I've seen it before. I think 
though that the reason there's two well i need to put in a disclaimer here so on the wrestlemania 18 episode i was very critical of triple h for his politicking even though i've no basis on the fact that he did that i just guessed that he did i'm gonna guess that he did this again because this makes triple h look better if he's a heel against two baby faces and i believe that he was probably instrumental in getting his best mate Shawn michaels into the main event of wrestlemania with him to to have you know to have the match with benoit so i think that's probably what this is is just triple h trying to keep himself as protected as absolutely possible but what about the tapping do you think the tapping yeah well that was interesting that was interesting because i didn't expect him i got a bit again having not seen him before i did i expected Shawn michaels to tap to be honest or Shawn michaels to be the one who took the pinfall so when triple h took it i was surprised by that but i also think there's an element of triple h who's and again shows triple h can't win basically in my eyes because i also (laughs) think there's an element of triple h where basically he said i'll tap because it'll make me look better yeah, <laughs> Maybe yeah like I'm still doing the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the smart fans. But yeah, yeah, there we go. Oh, look at that. He did the honourable thing. He went out on his shield. Well, as uh, as I said to Tommy the other week, it's ironic, isn't it? This is Triple H's run where he doesn't really do the job for anyone, doesn't put the shine on anyone, and the one person he does murders his wife and kid. And part of me, in a weird way, thinks that, and this is summer but because ben was quite like him i think in that he's quite heavily roided up obviously takes the business very seriously and he was like you know what this guy is actually someone that like i can work with and also then i can beat but interestingly so they have a rematch at backlash in calgary alberta canada when Shawn michaels taps out so it was his turn as chris benoit applies the sharpshooter oh lovely yeah, how classy WWE and Shawn Michaels are <laughs> to have it's done in, that in in Canada. It's in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, but it is... Oh, Edmonton. It's the same, it's, same province. It's basically the same place, mate. Alberta's yeah. tiny, so... Yeah. <laughs> the, I must admit, though, the one thing that did kind of disturb me in this match was the amount of blood pumping out of Shawn Michaels mm. and all getting into his hair and matting it, turning his hair into one kind of bloody dreadlock. Oh, it was minging. I don't think that's a blade job because he seems to wallop that back post. The turnbuckle mm. seems to absolutely wallop it. But obviously he's bleeding from his his left eyebrow, which is obviously famous as the blading spot of the chosen one. I thought, it was, I thought it was on your hairline. Where would you do it, old man? On the back of your head. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I tell you Which which part of the horseshoe is it on? (laughs) (laughs) It's just all of it. They're just hammered in. Just like a horseshoe. It's kind of like a reverse horseshoe, actually. I know what you mean, though, because he does seem to hit the thing and it immediately Mm. bleeds, just like Lesnar did at Backlash recently with Cody. Yeah. He just instantly hits it he seems to bleed it, it, it either it's planned and it's hard way or it's not planned and they made a mistake and Shawn michaels yeah. is pissing blood i mean quite honestly if he's done that intentionally he's a fucking idiot yeah very possibly these wrestlers are fucking idiots let's, let's be clear that is fair yeah yeah um could i just draw quick attention to the lovely northern light suplex with a bridge that benoit hits as well that's lovely that is lovely it's not it's done to forgive him but that's a bloody lovely <laughs> It's as close you know as he's come, though. You know what? It might be a double murder suicide, but my God, that's suplex. So let's move on. Uh, oh, man, let's, let's have your talking point then. And I don't really know how I'm going to do this, but this bothered me all through the whole show. The fucking production values on this show are 
for want of a better phrase, abysmal. I thought the editing was poor. I thought the lack of video packages is not good. I think I'm very conditioned by the fact that I pretty much only watch the premium live events now, and even those only occasionally. And there's pretty much a video before every match. But I was like, this is the 20th WrestleMania. I was going to say the 20th anniversary just to piss you boys off, but the 20th WrestleMania. And there seems to have been such little effort put into so many of these matches. So you've got a tag match, the Playboy Evening Gown match, which deserves a video. I'm sorry. <laughs> Cruiserweight Open, the other tag match. And this one really bothered me was the hair versus title match for the women's title. They've made effort to create this story. And all you get is some guy who gets called Giuseppe, I think it is, oh, by God. Taz, stood next to a barber's chair. And they're like, oh, yeah, and this is the Herbert's title match. And I just thought the difference in barely imaginable 19 years in the production values between here and now, and also between here and even like a couple of years down the line, it's just really, I just thought it was really poor. Well, I thought it was just a really poorly put together show anyway, because the crowd are fucking... Stephen, I don't know what he was playing at. <laughs> he, like, he must have been asleep for most of it, because... Why well, too busy sucking off Donald Trump, honey? But <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, I just thought overall as a production until the last three matches, which are let's not forget the only three matches that matter, apart from arguably the the opener, the production's fucking awful. Like, embarrassingly bad. I, in terms of what you said about the matches mattering, let's start with that. I thought that was more because the show is too long. It doesn't need to be this long. Mm. You could shave at least four matches off and it'd be a far better show. So and we'll get into that in a bit of detail later on. So for me, that was what that was more about, is that there weren't video packages for the tag team matches, the two four-way tag matches, because what are you going to show people? Something. Yeah. To but, you know, interest. but interestingly also i think that's my issue with some of the more recent premium live events is everything's got a video package and every single video package lasts about 15 minutes and every <laughs> and that makes the whole show just really long like we found at clash at the castle like the whole mm. thing just felt incredibly long just because there's such big gaps between every match and i get why it makes sense you know you get people to go buy merch and goodness knows what else but yeah well do you know i think the i think the reason why i think there's a version of peacock that has adverts I think yeah there is I think that's why there's such a gigantic gap between them but it does make it incredibly tiresome to watch because not only do you get that but then you get adverts for I don't know the WWE shop and Snickers featuring Otis and some other jabronis and it means yeah you're right it means there's fucking ages between every match and it's really boring and it, and it's great if you're watching on the network the next day because you can skip through it all but if you're there or you're watching it live it just, it just lasts forever yeah I didn't notice anything. I must admit, I didn't really notice anything particularly, particularly bad about the production values. But I did find it strange the way the set is designed in that obviously the entranceway isn't the traditional Madison Square Garden entranceway. And what they do have there is a picture of the participants of the match as the match is happening. And specifically during the Big Show John Cena match, I find it very distracting because... It's just Big Show's massive fucking head in this doorway, <laughs> and it's just really weird. But other, that was the main thing. I, I don't. There's part of me that thinks that they. I know they've moved on to bigger and better things, but I've always kind of thought that the ten WrestleManias, that the, the, the every tenth WrestleMania should be at Madison Square Garden, and they should have that tiny ramp, and that's what I want. It's got not even a ramp, is it? It's just a, no, it's, it's just a tiny door. 
Yeah. There's also traditionally the entrance way stretching back many, 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 many years, you know, way back to the 70s and 80s. So I, I agree. I would have liked them to keep that. The other thing that that means is that the entrance way is opposite hard cap, which mm. is is also kind of strange and doesn't doesn't really live up to the normal WWE presentation of the entrance way being on the left hand side as you look at it. So, you know, even that kind of it, it just feels as if they're really desperate to make sure that this has the same setup as all the other shows that they ever do and has this you know traditional wrestlemania set as opposed to that you know lovely entrance in front of the hard cam very short entrance into the it's a, it's a shame actually that's almost the exact opposite of what old man's point was but it's a shame that obviously that's a, for an early stage of wwe's ridiculously overproducing everything is is that you know what i mean is the fact that they they've ended up losing some of the characteristics of these unique buildings that they tend well, to or used to run in especially madison square garden because it's your home base right i mean i don't i understand they go into phoenix and they don't care that you know they go into a place which looks exactly like the place in houston and looks exactly like the place in i don't know los angeles and looks exactly like the place in chicago that's fine but this is msg you you thought they would want to protect the integrity and the history of that that building and and really focus on the entrance but well also because there are no there are no flashy entrances are there no i think this is i think in a weird way i think you've tommy's kind of hit the nail on the head in that i feel like they're trying to do stuff and it just doesn't work there's something which i'm not going to get into now because i I feel like i need to calm down a little bit because it it annoyed me for about two days that (laughs) happens that happens during someone's entrance that i was just like right that's that's my talking point i'm fucking sick of this fuck off and then i got angry and then i just haven't spoken to anyone since well, let's quickly move on before we actually let's, uh, rather than move on, let's you let's pick out one of the matches you talked about, the women's title match. Oh, it's, beautiful. It's Victoria against Molly Holly. It's just under five minutes long. It comes just before the Eddie Guerrero Angle WWE heavyweight title match or world heavyweight title match. What the hell? See, I still can't find cope with these fucking naming conventions. Just can't do it. So Victoria beats Molly Holly. And if Molly Holly loses here, she has to have her hair shaved off. Now, I wanted to I wanted to talk about this anyway, because for me, this is a victim of the length of the show. It comes in a bit of a graveyard spot because it's just before all the most important matches, just after one or two, one or two matches that are a little bit less impressive. And they give them five, like less than five minutes. The fans aren't interested. And Molly Holly during this match must have been thinking, why the fuck have I bothered to do this? Because even when she gets her head shaved, there's barely an audible mm. anything to it. And just like, oh, you know, it feels a bit like, and I, you know, I, I think Molly Holly's a good worker, but it feels a bit like WWE were like, we need a woman to shave their head. Who's willing to do it? You'll get in the WrestleMania, you'll get in the WrestleMania main card and you'll fight for the title. And Molly Holly's gone, yeah, I'll do it. And that's what it feels mm. like. And then it feels like they've built up on the strength of the idea that Molly Holly's going to have to shave her head and nobody cares. No. It's tough, isn't it? Because the match is quite crap but they're trying they're working hard i think molly holly and victoria both working hard but they, they can just hear like you said Tinky, people just chatting in the crowd no one cares all the about i don't know four of the five minutes involve jerry lawler trying to get jr to talk about pants which is just a bit shit what i've got to say and this could very well 
be my MVP. There's a magnificent sign in the crowd of someone with Molly Holly's head and they've cut out her hair. <laughs> and then it's like on like a lever and her hair's just moving up and down. So that lad, he's not probably not going to get my MVP, but he deserves a shout out if that guy made that sign. Because it is absolutely <laughs> magnificent. But yeah, it's just crap. And I really don't like the fucking, just the visual of a woman getting strapped into a chair and having her head shaved, even if it, even though it's done by a woman. And Luigi is the barber old man. Oh, and he's... oh God, Jesus. Sorry, lads. Not Giuseppe. <laughs> that's, Luigi. That's so awful. <laughs> and he's, um, he's. Isn't it Mario? There. Isn't it Mario? <laughs> yeah. Isn't Pepe. Pepe, isn't it? Um, That's Spanish, mate. Oh, whatever. <laughs> um, but like, but like Lu- Luigi used to stood there like with a weird, creepy grin on his face. And you know Vincent Mann's just fucking pounding one off in Gorilla oh. as well. Over <laughs> Tugging away. Look at it, Bruce. Look at it. He's probably saying, oh, oh mucky little cunt. It also takes Paolo ages to um, to shave it off because they go to the whole video package for the WWE title next. And then after they come back, they're still going. They're still trying to shave all around. They're hour. still doing it when Kurt Angle makes his entrance. <laughs> they are. That's what, That's what fucked me off. That's what fucked me off so much. I was just like, this is ghastly. Like, no one cares. Cut it. Cut it. I would like them to have uh, made Mad Curtain Angle, if they're going to do that, at least acknowledge the fact that Molly Holly's losing her hair in the same manner that he did. You should have gone, I feel your pain, Molly. And then he could have said on Raw the next night, I was distracted. So I was thinking about that awful traumatizing (laughs) moment when I had my head shaved in front of a national audience. As well as the panty talk of the king trying to get JR. JR, fucking hell, man. Like, he gamely tries to carry on, like, avoiding the whole thing, but it's too agonizing even for him. They don't talk about the stipulation at all, really. And I'm just like, this is exactly what this match is built on. This is the only reason anyone should care. And I like both of these people. And I felt, like you said to you, I felt horrendous for Molly Holly. I thought this is absolutely gassy. The one good thing is she made some of it afterwards. So I was I was happy for her for that. But oh, this is horrendous, isn't it? Would she use her hair to make a pillow or something? <laughs> No, she used it, didn't she? Going forward, like her boldness, mm. just as all great bolds do. Me, <laughs> Kurt Angle, uh, the guy who plays Kojak, the REM guy. Yeah, yeah, old Stipey, <laughs> Stipey, and uh, Jack Skellington from the Nightmare Before Christmas. Little Stipey bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, let's move on. Tom, what's your talking point? Okay. What is my talking point? I have to think about this because I've really thought of one. <laughs> Um, Fucking hell, mate. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Busy, and you know, I've got Beyonce tomorrow. I've been bigger things on my mind. <laughs> I am going to. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I'm going to go for, Tinky? You and I have often bemoaned the fact that many wrestlers in this day and age, in this generation, look all, all look the same. Their attire is all black with maybe some kind of garnish on the side. I tell you, who don't fucking subscribe to that. These fucking skinny cunts in the cruiserweight division, because this is absolutely tremendous, right? So. Strap your bollocks on. Get a gaff tape out. We haven't done that for a while. They all look completely different. And I actually made a note of everyone, right? Ultimate Dragon, masked, and he's wearing gold. Shannon Moore, blue trousers. Rey Mysterio, all in red, dressed at the Flash. Tajiri, black shiny baggy trousers. Noble, jorts and black leggings. Kidman, he's massive and he's got white shorts. Funaki, blue Smackdown branded shorts. Nunzio, green pants. Aiko, baggy white trousers. And Chavo, blue and green tights. No one is wearing the same thing. Best give it up for these fucking legends in the cruiserweight division, which is why my MVP is a cruiserweight division seamstress. Because 
the, or Seamster, whatever the male equivalent is, they fucking put an effort in on this card to make everyone stand out. Now, the match in itself is okay. It's very short and rather boring. But I spent so much time writing down what everyone was wearing that I didn't really watch it. So I'd welcome your thoughts on this. But uh, yeah, it was nice just to see people wearing, wearing different outfits. My first thought is to correct you for the pronunciation of Tajiri's teammate, just Akio. Akio, I didn't know how to pronounce it. I've never on, heard of it mate. before. I've never fucking heard of the cunt. It's Jimmy Wang Yang, mate. Is it? Yeah. Well, why'd you go by that then? Idiot. <laughs> I thought this was quite good, the, the cruiserweight match. I thought that was all right for what it was. I mean, you know, when there's 10 people in a match and it's kind of called an open, it's going to be quick. There's not going to be a lot of time spent on anything. It still goes for nearly 11 minutes. And I think it's quite good. I think it's pretty fun. I think it's as, a, as something that breaks up the show a little bit. It's all right. It's not amazing by any stretch of imagination, but I, I thought this was all right. This Funaki's music is great, though, isn't it? That's always a nice one to hear. Funaki's music is an absolute tune. And I got, like I admit, I was really surprised by Stephen Richards, Stevie Richards' look. Or Kidman, sorry. Steve Richards in the fucking match. <laughs> but, that was know, right? but why isn't Billy Kidman wearing um wearing what he usually wears? Why aren't he in his... He, like, maybe because he couldn't wear his jorts because Jamie Noble was already wearing them. Mm, I, don't, perhaps. I don't think he ever wore them in WWE, or at least not after the first few months. I think he's yeah. pretty much like this. And he doesn't look like a cruiserweight by this point. He's not. He's, he's massive. Too, he's too big now to be yeah. a cruiserweight. Um, but Billy beat Hong Kong in three times on pay-per-view Kidman that's right oh my god really and we, yeah. we've watched one of them we saw it at Slamboree 2000 um, yeah three times I'm surprised to be here because he does an absolute botched shoot and star press at one point in the match to the outside which to be fair it's not a move I ever attempt to do <laughs> But he basically nearly kills himself. And the pin at the end is a bit botched because there's no way that Ray Mysterio's shoulders down. He is yeah. so far over, like on his back and up. There's no way his shoulders down. The referee needs to have a word with himself. So I felt like this was just a waste of a Chavo Ray Mysterio match, to yeah. be honest. So let's fun for these people. Oh, Purple Accio. Not. <laughs> No, I'm not invested enough. Billy Kimono is quite light. Funaki, come on. Funaki does the job in four seconds. Funaki Lime Pie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's I excellent. Like that. Well, that's getting added to the list. Yeah. The MVP of this match is Jamie Snowball. <laughs> and, then you, and then you've got like, Nunzio, who again, Nunzio's great. Rain Mysterio gets a minute and a half in this match. If that, Shannon Moore, fuck off again. I've already said it once, but please go away. Tajiri again does it get enough. Ultimo Dragon then. Massive Gets pop. Massive pop. 45 seconds of work. Love the old job. Now, I do appreciate that these guys are all getting paid. And as JR said before, they do get paid by the hour. So they're all earning a, a little check. But I was just like, why not just have Chavo and Raymond? I tell you what I'd rather have. And I, I know that it. Some, some people will say this doesn't fit the, the WrestleMania mold. I'd rather have a six-man tag match, which lasted 11 minutes. That's what I would rather have. A lovely six-man tag match. Really fast-paced. Just a big old flying six man trios yeah because like you you know you've got loads of other matches on this show it doesn't need to be flashy you're just looking to get a mm. bunch of people on the show no one cares like no one really cares have chavo and i don't know flipping jamie noble and nunzio against Rey mysterio tajiri and ultimo dragon mate yeah. you said nunzio with such disdain i didn't nunzio i i i it didn't mean to, i wasn't with disdain for nunzio it's more with oh, disdain no, you've said it now I, I was reading shannon Moore at the time that's why yeah you know what you know what i want you know what i really want i want an andre the giant memorial battle royal <laughs> in the <laughs> middle of the show 
preferably 30 people and 30 minutes long uh, i was gonna say 27 but go on then as long as <laughs> as long as titus o'neill's in it we're happy <laughs> <laughs> titus world slide love the old job <laughs> yes okay let's um let's go back to the start of the show we're nowhere near halfway through covering everything so i figure we bet we we should rather than go to break right now we need to from the start Let's go back to another level <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> with the wrong lyrics. But oh, yeah. absolutely! It's always nice. It's always nice to have a, a reminder of Dean Bowers. No. Yeah. So WrestleMania 20 starts with Howard Finkel introducing yes. the boys choir, choir, choir of Harlem who sing America the Beautiful. During this, lots of footage of WWE superstars with U.S. military personnel. Uh, then after that, a few streamers and not many go off. It's, <laughs> it's very, very, very pathetic. But the the the, the America Beautiful rendition was decent. It was lovely. It's a bit flat now, wasn't it? I thought I thought it was gonna be like start. Lads have got lovely voices got to be said absolutely love you like you said it's a really good rendition i just want a better life you know who i wanted there don't you little oh richard. little richard yeah that was all i could think i was like fucking come on you know yeah. what it's saliva <laughs> it is similar I, though to the little richard one but little yeah. Rich, you're right little richards starts mm. with just him doing the really awful fucking you know almost like he's doing a bad prince impression even though obviously yeah. i'm sure a prince actually copied a lot of little richard but then it really kicks into gear because you've got the mm. choir around the ring. and you know, But this, yeah, this one starts at a sort of middle level and stays there. Go back yeah. to the production values of it all. So I can remember looking at the screen on the screen, showing various stock images of the troops, largely. But did it actually cut away to that or were we just watching it on the screen on the screen, if you know what I mean? I think we, we did cut away to it. Occasionally. Really? They just look so generic. And I've got to give a shout out to some bloke in the crowd singing along, both fists, pumped. That was Stephen. Yes, it was. Then we get the video hype introduction, which starts with Vince McMahon walking on stage looking stupid. Clips tell the story of WrestleMania's history. Then we have the specifics. Voiceovers by Eddie Guerrero, Brock Lesnar, The Rock, John Cena, Ric Flair, Triple H, Kurt Angle, Mick Foley and The Big Show. Tonight is where it all begins again. Then we end on a picture of Vince, Shane and Shane's baby. So Vince McMahon then, God, obviously, the creator of this world. That's how he's portrayed. Yeah, the whole bit with the current roster is so flaccid and formulaic. I was just like, why is everyone so bored like everyone sounds so bored there's no heart in anything and this is after the america the beautiful which as i've said beautiful rendition but flat this is the 20th anniversary lads <laughs> but why what, what i find weird about the bit with the current superstars this show sean michaels Eddie Guerrero, brock lesnar mick foley the rock cena flair triple h benoit angle big show it's john cena to be in amongst that goes to show early doors how much they thought of him because everyone else there even the big show is a big fucking deal in you know in terms of main event status whereas obviously john cena had never hadn't got to that yet so i just thought it was really interesting that he was included in it and they obviously thought even then that he was going to be a big deal for them that was my reading into it anyway also the end bit with vince shane and shane's baby feels kind of really weird now because yeah. first of all obviously vince has sold the company to uh whoever they call it, endeavor i think they're called the famously Paragon. hates shane <laughs> that's that's another thing um and also like shane's really not a lot to do with the company other than a performer occasionally stephanie obviously is far more and triple h far more important in the uh the management of the company so it felt very very odd well not odd but just a very 
I guess, dated thing to see the idea that Shane would one day inherit this world and Shane's baby would supposedly also do the same. Did you have you seen uh, Shane McMahon doing his ACL WrestleMania? Because the fact that my mum be laugh at it so much is that when he, he tries to get up in the same way that Vincent Mann does when he tears his quad at the Rumble 2004. Oh, it's so funny. I was like, oh, fucking up that fucking shame, man, you fucking purple cunt. Oh, get off my wow. screen. We're then introduced to the commentary teams. The rule team is Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. Their Spanish announced team is Hugo Savinovich and Carlos Cabrera and the SmackDown team, Michael Cole and Taz. So, JR, he's opening this. The 20th year of WrestleMania, 20th installment. He's fucking amped. He is excited. King tries to calm him down, asks him why he's so excited. Looks like, <laughs> what? <laughs> the fuck is going on? Like, why is he trying to calm him down? Then Colin Taz, Taz says, it's nice to be in, but it's better to be at WrestleMania. I thought his poor family must be at home watching that. Just like, daddy doesn't love us as much as WrestleMania. The poor young Hook must have been very upset back then, didn't he? Is he his son? Who's Hook? Oh, um, Dustin Hoffman. Um, um... Yeah, that's what I thought. So I don't think that's his son, mate. He seems much older. There's a wrestler called Hook in AEW, and I think it's Taz's son. I don't know what they've done with him since, so he may still be going very well. But about a year ago, I thought this guy could legitimately be a massive star. Uh, last thing I knew, he was in a tag team with Danhausen. So I oh, think fuck it we out, know where that's gone. He, he just looked like a killer. Like, he looked yeah. like a killer. He looked really cool. Like, you just like, this guy could be an absolute star. He's a bit small, but he could be an absolute star. Great suplexes. Yeah. Great suplexes. Came down to the ring to an action Bronson song, which has got a lot of time for that as well. So, uh, before before the opener, John Cena does a little pre-match thing. Uh, big Shit. Ch- big chance for Cena. I've written here, these never worked for me, these raps. I just don't, like, they, he's not good. He's not good at it. They're not raps either, they're poems. And yeah. they're, they're juvenile, not really very good. I mean, sure, for the time, it was fun. And clearly it was over with, supposedly, the most smart of smart fan audiences, the Madison Square Garden crowd. But it didn't really do it for me. I'm itching to beat him like a penis with an STD was one of the uh, mm. lines I picked out from this yeah. one. Are you, are you wanting to beat your dick if you've got an STD? This is fucking awful. This is horrendous. Like, it's, I was just watching it and I'm just like, this got him over. Mm. Like, and, and, and unequivocally so. It wasn't yeah. like, yeah. let's go see the scene sucks. Everyone loves him. Fucking shit. And Big Show's hair is awful. Oh, oh God, it is. Talk, <laughs> talking of men who look ill big show yeah. looks ill like just looks well, really rough credit to him for getting into shape and getting himself mm. to a place where he's it's good because at this point i'm like wow like he's he's well, huge he's obviously like he's got a real gut but also yeah he's got the hair and it's like it's not he, just, he looks like a truck driver he's let himself go <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and, and oh, sorry, can I just quickly go back to the freestyle? Because yeah, yeah. I can. It just, I'm watching it. It is the most nonsensical, monosyllabical rhyme pattern you've ever heard. It is crap. The, 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 you're right. I, I just, I, I'm not going to say anything you guys haven't said. I just needed to hop, come in and say how oh, shit it was. As someone who loves hip hop and has listened to hip hop for the majority of his life, I find it insulting that this well, was know, a thing. You know what? I don't mind that he's not, if he wasn't good at it. I just, it's just that he's it's not a rap no. it's not like he's a bad rapper he's not rapping he's not great <laughs> i'll tell you um, what though the, the one thing i will say for him is that later on in his life you won't catch him in the next man's sweater no no you won't he only wears his own sweaters <laughs> <laughs> you can't, can't argue with that 
can't argue with um, that. It's a big fucking statement to go to open your biggest show of the year with a big show match, especially yeah. a big show in this condition, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, it's the, and well, obviously we'll get into the match, but it's the vehicle, isn't it, to get Cena over? And I'm like, you had to have Big Show to do that, apparently, because you want him to do the attitude adjustment or whatever it's called at this point. And he has to do it twice because Cena is so strong and massive that Big Show manages to kick out of it the first time. And I'm just like, why? Why? You're trying to build this guy. Fuck me. Fuck off. Shit. Yeah. See, I quite like this match. I didn't think this was bad at all. And Cena's un- undoubtedly over with the crowd. I think this is a good way to get somebody over. First match of the night, wins a title from a guy that's actually a pretty big deal. I, I thought this was a very well, a very well-realized opening match. And it accomplished everything it's out to do, which is put Cena over, give him a title, give him a memorable moment, which he can, you know, even, what, 10, 15 years later, he would still kind of refer to reference in his career. I, I, I thought this was pretty decent. I was interested. I was intrigued. No, I was say interested. I was intrigued to see this match, to see how John Cena's offense changed, you know, throughout from here to, you know, the Cena that I'm more familiar with. But he doesn't really land anything apart from some punches, a crap drop kick to Big Show's knees and um, and a couple of FUs. And his over-exaggerated selling actually works quite well in a match against the big show. So I didn't think he it didn't think he put in too much of a too much of a of a bad show. But the bit that I find quite interesting, or quite amusing, should I say, is a bit when John Cena explains to the referee how he intends to punch the big show with a chain on his fist. Yeah. He's like, Yeah, I'm gonna wrap around anyone fucking hit him with it. And Charles Robinson's like, No, no, you can't do that. Yeah. It takes off him. Ultimately it leads to the uh, referee confiscating the chain, doesn't it? And then Cena hitting him with something else. But um I didn't come out of this feeling like I'd learnt anything, but you don't always need to learn any, anything from wrestling much, do you? But I was expecting to. I just found it odd. Like I didn't un- don't understand why he kicks out of the FU big show. Don't understand it. I don't understand why you have to have Cena cheat to win. I get that the big show is the big show, but he's not the big show, is he? Am I wrong? No, he's the bad <laughs> show, according yeah. to Tom. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, He's not a big deal, is he, at this point? Like, he's just not. And I just felt like, looking back from what I now know, everyone kicked out of that fucking FU. And then it became the attitude adjustment. And I feel like if they just had the big show, one time, pin, lovely old job, you could have avoided all that nastiness and saved it for the really, really big matches, not a US title match that goes nine minutes at the start of a show. Silly. Oh, and also Taz said pounding ground instead of grounding pound <laughs> he said it twice and uh michael cole described uh big show's hands as frying pan <laughs> which i loved and uh also the the controversial and outspoken john cena yes yeah. i think he's never been described as since <laughs> right let's let's call it a break there let's have a break um we'll come back and cover the rest of the show we've got we've got plenty to cover there is it said it's a four and a half hour show i think we've covered about an hour's worth of it so far Christ. so uh we'll be back in uh, in just a moment bro i just want you to know man okay being like a brother to you talking to you like familia ese vato, i just want you to know man that no matter what happens tonight ese, i'm proud of you ese. win or lose proud of you. i'm always gonna be proud of you. whoa hey there's no lose, and don't talk to me like that, all right? Well, I mean, come on, Chris. You're taking on HBK, Triple H. 
It's the biggest night of your life, man. The biggest match of your career holds. I mean, come on, Vato. Nobody really expects you to win, is it? Nobody really believes Believes you, in me. Believes in me. I believe in me. I believe in me. I look at me. I believe in me. And that's all that damn well matters. I've known you for 12 years. You've never turned your back on me. Huh? What's up with tonight? Huh? Tonight is my night. My night. My night. Because I believe. I'm proud of you. You won your WWE title. Huh? Tonight is my night. <laughs> the hell are you laughing? What the hell are you laughing? Whoa. Take it easy, SF. See, that's what I've been trying to get out of you, Holmes. This fire. Because this is the Chris Benoit, I believe. That fire that's in your eyes, man. That's the Wolverine that I took on every night in Japan. That's the Wolverine that's going to tear Triple H and HBK apart and walk out the world heavyweight You're champion. Right. Because after tonight, you... We'll be walking out of Madison Square Garden with the WWE title. Orale. I will be walking out the new world heavyweight champion. Yeah. And that is that. Orale. I believe, Chris. Okay, welcome back. So we have covered the first match and we are now on our way through the rest of the show. Uh, it starts with backstage, the coach in a tux saying that, hang on, this I, my handwriting here is so bad. That you're gonna have to give me a second. Well, so basically, the coach is kind of going backstage and he's saying hello to everyone on his That's way. That's right. In. That's right. Hi. I was saying hi to a number of people. That's what I've written. Thank you very much, including T- Telly Long. Then he walks into Eric Bischoff's office. Bischoff says he's heard that the Undertaker is here and he wants Coach to find him. Coach says he doesn't feel comfortable looking for the Undertaker. Well, you know why? Because they've got this shitty brand split where they're in the rivalry, aren't they? So he's like, oh, but Eric. He, he's on SmackDown, like. <laughs> and Bischoff's like, oh, come on, lad, you can find him. And all the while, John Morrison is just stood there. Yeah, I thought that was weird. Yeah, and I'm just like, what's he doing there? What he's doing is he's waiting for his push to the main event, and he's still waiting. He's still there, still in that same <laughs> yeah. Then we get Randy Orton, Batista and Ric Flair, a straight to camera promo where Randy Orton effectively tells the story of his view with Mick Foley and the lead up to the match between (laughs) Evolution and the Rock and Sock connection. This was weird. Oh, so weird. I'll tell you what Orton does. He shits all over Mick Foley. That's what he does. And I'm waiting for that little push where he's like, oh, but like you're a two time world champion, Mick. Like, no, none of it. They just shit on him. Ric Flair stood there. He keeps laughing and I realise that he shouldn't be laughing. So then immediately straightened in his face. He's like, <laughs> Frank Lampard. Yeah, Batista's <laughs> just got his arm on Orton the whole time. Like he's like, holding him up like he's a pensioner, like he's my age. Terrible. Barely, barely any mention of Rock. Well, Batista but, doesn't know what's going on, does he? No. So he doesn't know what's going on. And what is really strange about it is that like Randy Orton will do like a little monologue, and I only, I can only assume it's done in this way because he cannot 
do this full promo at this stage. So he does mm. a bit of the monologue, and then it cuts to the specific bit that he was talking about and shows the footage of it. And then it cuts back to him. But every time it cuts back to him, it's from a different camera angle. <laughs> and they're just hanging out on like a staircase. So there's one of them where they're on like the landing kind of bit, and it's just there. And then it comes and it's from a different angle, but they're all stood in the exact same places, just with their heads slightly turned. And then the next angle is like you're down at the bottom of the stairs looking up to them. And there's one which is basically I guess the angle is supposed to be that you're on your knees having just sucked off Randy Orton and he's bearing down on you because <laughs> that's the only way you get you'd, you'd be able to see it from that angle. It's just really weird. I do appreciate they've tried to do something different at least, but not this. Not this. <laughs> do something different, but not like that. Yeah, well, not the suck off Randy Orton camera angle, please. And also, this doesn't feel like it has any place on WrestleMania. This is a last go home show mm. before. This is a WrestleMania countdown thing. Count- I was just about to say that. Yeah. It's the countdown style thing. This is what yeah. this should be a recorded thing mm. that they play on the countdown show. With Todd Pettingill over the top. Next up, we get the World Tag Team title four way match. It's Booker T and Rob Van Dam defending their titles against La Resistance, oh, Garrison Cage, and Mark Jindrak and the Dudley Boys. It's a match that goes for eight minutes in total, and it ends when Rob Van Dam. I'm sure pin someone with after a frog splash, but I can't remember who. Tom, what do you think of this one? Disappointed from the off because uh, La Resistance didn't do their little dance. Although, <laughs> is it Sylvan Grognier who does the dance? Mm-hmm. I, I don't yeah. know if he's in this iteration of La Resistance, no. but there's no little dance in it, which is disappointing. The Dudley boys get a hell of a pop, but Bubba, Bubba, <laughs> Bubba Ray Dudley's wearing shorts like Augustus Gloop from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. These tiny little shorts that he, a man of his size shouldn't be wearing. <laughs> maybe like, it made him look a little bit like, or maybe like Uther from The Simpsons. It was, uh, oh, made me laugh. Did anybody notice that the graphic for the belt is is different to the actual belts? So, no. it's, so it's like a completely different belt design, which Ugh. I was like, it goes back into those production values you talk about. I don't, I've got any notes for this, Tinky. And old man, only that, only that as soon as Bubba gets in, we get a We Want Table chance. And that there's quite a nice frog splash from RVD. And that's it. This match is pointless. Fuck off. Poison's on there. Yeah, Poison's on there. Make it, make it, make a storyline involving RVD and Booker T and the Dudley Boys and La Resistance and Jindrak and Cade can fuck off. How about that? What this is, is this is a fatal four way sudden death match. Mm. That's how it's described. What's the difference? There is no difference. Okay, so good. I've described it as a silly name. Obviously, I'm guessing they're trying to differentiate it from the other Fatal 4-Way match, which takes place later in the card. I'm guessing that's the attempt to do it. I don't understand why they refer to it as the sudden death thing. And they put the rules up on screen. Yeah, like, yeah they love that. Oh, yeah, I watched the Fatal 4-Way, you fucking knobs. <laughs> yeah, you've, had about, you've had about 4 million of them. Yeah, you had a whole pay-per-view called Fatal 4-Way about 17 years after this. <laughs> I can get your heads in the game. They did it in so, your house before. Well, like the final four, wasn't it? The in your house one, but same same rules. Oh, yeah, good point. No, yeah. it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same rules. Oh no, it was elimination, wasn't it? it was. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so so this match goes seven fifty five. I reckon for two fifty five, Booker T's getting beaten down. Don't know why. Don't know why. No idea. Poor Booker. I'm like, he's better than this. I'm better than this. <laughs> like, quite, quite honestly, I am better than a way past it Dudley boys. La Resistance, who got about as much heat as somewhere cold, the Arctic, 
Yeah. <laughs> wow. Garrison Cade and Mark Gingerack. Those names Ooh, you ain't getting Mark, over. Mark, Mark Gingerack Breadman. Mm, no, no, not bad. No, not bad. no, I'm not accepting that one. Okay. Mark Gingerbreadman. That's better. No. But yeah, um, if we were doing other foods, it'd be Mark Gingerack of Lamb. Oh yeah. Or I was, think, <laughs> I was thinking Mark Gingerracky and Saltfish. Really? Oh, Atkinson. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Purple Atkinson and Saltfish. <laughs> The second mention of the Greek man. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then you've got RVD and Booker T, who, like, they must have been, when they got told probably about 14 minutes before the show that this was the match they were going to be in, they must have just been like, you cannot be serious. No, about what they said was, that's fine, but we're fucking winning. I don't care what you say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, as you said, forgettable. The hot tie to RVD is good. That's pretty much it. I've also got odd that Cage stops the 3D. Then with a frog splash, it's done. What a waste. My notes. Yeah, I didn't have many notes for this one. It was really forgettable. I appreciated it, and I appreciated this first hour and a half, which encompasses the first four matches, for the fact that they put John Cena over in the in the opener. They've got four guys in this match who've not been at WrestleMania before, Garrison Cage, Mark Jindrak, Rene Dupree, and Rob Conway. And then they get the Evolution versus Rock and Sock Connection match where mm. Batista and Orton are made to look pretty good as well. And I thought, this is WWE preparing for the future, and I am all for that. So... Mm. I did appreciate that this match for this for that reason, but that's the only reason <laughs> that I appreciate this match. I mean, in fairness, the work that they put into Cade, Jindrak, Dupree and Conway really paid off. <laughs> well, <laughs> they put masses of work in there. This is an eight minute match of which they yeah. appear in the ring for about three minutes in total. So <laughs> it's not like they gave them loads, but I just I just appreciate that they were trying here to put some younger yeah. guys out there and give them a go. Now, in fairness, you, you are correct. And one thing, this was a potential other talking point, was the roster at this point. I'm like, fuck, because it gets worse than this in about six months time. So they get a few injuries. Oh. Next up, we have the video package about Chris Jericho and Christian. Jericho says, I can nail Trish before you can nail Lita. They have a little uh, a little bet. Jericho falls in love with Trish, however, and Christian gets angry with Jericho because Trish says that she's just friends with him. Then it seems as if Christian is into Trish. Bischoff then books Christian v. Trish. Christian tries to arrange for Trish to beat him in the same way as Mark Merrow tried to do with Sable and then tricks her. Um, so he, does, he does more than trick her. He fucking clotheslines the shit out of her and hits her with the old kill switch. Yeah, Brutal. That's right. And beats her with the walls of Jericho, in fact. Didn't yeah. He? Was at, least, at least Mark Merrow had the uh, decency, decency to, just pin to just do a roll-up. Yeah. yeah. Christian then tells Jericho he did it for him, and Jericho attacks Christian. That's all leading into this match. Chris Jericho versus Christian, a match that gets 15 minutes and ends when Christian is confronted by Trish. He pulls her in the ring and shoves her down. Jericho then knocks Christian out of the ring and checks on Trish, but she elbows Jericho without looking, and then Christian rolls Jericho up for the win. Uh, after the match, Trish appears to apologise to Jericho. Christian comes back to the ring, and then Trish slaps Jericho twice, and then Christian hits his move, I can't remember what it's called, and they leave together. When they get to the stage, they make out. So Trish swerving Chris Jericho, to turning heel in the process. Old man. I thought the video was very poor, to be honest, but I thought the whole angle was poor. Now, another peek behind the curtain. Matt Roberts, we all know him. He's a good lad. Great taste in music. But he said that this was the best angle on the card. Now, 
in fairness, I think he's probably right. But by default, because there aren't many like storyline angles, I don't think like there's a for the title matches. Like there's obviously a thing that they're going for. But I thought the video was pretty adequate. That was about it. I thought the match was big match Jericho, wasn't it? It wasn't particularly good. Well, as you've said a couple of times, and I'm now definitely in agreement, Christian, he's not the level of carrying an important WrestleMania match, I don't think. And they have a very formulaic match, and it happens. I like the end. I think the end and the turn are very well done. But this is 15 minutes that I'd like back, please. Sorry, no. Come. Oh. The video package, the majority of the time, is Chris Jericho talking to a wall, which is yeah. <laughs> which is which is weird. And then also, I, I I had to bring this up, and I can't remember why they were so bad, but I've got a note, and I obviously felt strong enough about it to write a note. There's a peep show segment that uh, Christian's doing, and Jericho turns up wearing some awful cargo pants, which I think are worth <laughs> re-looking at again. It's really terrible. <laughs> and then I've got I've got these notes in nonsense course. So this is when I was doing my old desserts. So this is a dessert match because um, I really couldn't get into it. I've written, it sounds like Jericho's got a loud pop, but it could be Eurovision in the background. And this is where I got really confused because I was watching it on my laptop, but my wife was watching the Eurovision semifinals <laughs> on the TV. So I was like, fucking that's a hell of a reaction for Jericho. And it turns out it was actually just some fucking the Croatian act from uh, Eurovision. Um, oh, they were spot. amazing. They were strong. Oh. Um I've also written Christian takes a great back body drop from drop from the ring to the outside. Jericho takes one better, but Christian's is better. All limbs. If <laughs> anybody can dissect that, that'd be great. I didn't think his match was very good. I didn't think the, the video package was particularly good. It was basically a love story between Jericho and a wall. The fact that the, the, the turn at the end, I've got to admit, Lee, uh, Trish looks like an amazing heel at this point. Mm-hmm. Her face is pure evil, um, which I thought she did very well. But then she's stood next to Christian, who, correct me if I'm wrong, but at one point referred to himself as Captain Charisma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he is. He's more like Captain, I don't know. Like, no Charisma? Yeah, Captain without Charisma, I think. Captain charisma Uh charis- That doesn't work as well as it did in my head. No, um, but yeah, he doesn't have that much charisma, and it's just, it just felt all a bit uncomfortable at the end as well, and I think at the end of it, um, Lola's been very chauvinistic on commentary at the end, basically no. saying that she's a slapper and stuff like that, so yeah, not, not, not one for me, I think this match was rubbish, and I will never watch it again, and I don't really think I, much of either of these two performers, there I've said it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what can I say to that? Actually, I disagree with both of you. I thought this was a good match. I enjoyed this match. It was really, really decent. And I could understand why Matt thought it was his, it is his match of the night. I could understand why it might be. It's not mine, but I thought it was a really good match. But I expect Jericho to be able to perform when it doesn't matter. That's what I've, my point is. This is third from the bottom of the show. It's not. It's a mid card feud. Yeah, you can you can deliver when it doesn't really matter, but when it really matters. You're just not there. You're just going to make it. Christian is, yeah, I I remain unconvinced by Christian's main event credentials. But again, I thought this was pretty good. Less Captain Charisma, more major mediocre, I would say. I I will also add that I have heard Edge and Christian used to do a podcast that was actually, much to my surprise, really excellent because they're not in character. They're just Adam and Jason having a chat. 
Not Jason Voorhees, just Jason, so people know. Jason Mohammed from Final Score. Yeah, that's it. Hello, my name is Jason Mohammed and I'm Welsh. That's awful Welsh accent. Yeah, and they were saying like Christian slash Jason hated this. Absolutely hated it because he's a really good family man. And he's been with his wife since he was like, I think he was like 17 or something. And he hates it because he just hates doing anything like this at all where he's like doing anything against his family, even in character. And I think that made me really, really dislike this. Whereas it was probably perfectly fine. There is a Texas Cloverleaf in there as well. And I fucking love that move because it reminds me of my good friend Lance Storm. The uh, Christian of it all. Mm. I, I've heard that story as well about him not liking getting involved in the family stuff, which makes me believe that he is actually a good family man. And unlike that charlatan Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. <laughs> <laughs> Could we say Christmas Cake Jericho? We could. <laughs> if you really want to be good, it's not it's not mm. gonna get much of a rise out of anybody. No, what about <laughs> what about Chris Jarrett cola bottles? It's, it's not dessert, mate. It's not dessert. It's a sweet no. and neither neither's fucking Nutella Blanchard. But and I'm gonna do my own list now, of course it is. Of course Nutella's a dessert. <laughs> How about if it was celebrity chefs, barefoot Contessa Blanchard? Anybody... <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> amazing that's amazing so next up backstage is Lillian Garcia she's with Mick Foley he says oh, this is his first yes. match in four years he says he's overcome with emotion and then is joined by The Rock who says let it go The Rock does his thing points <laughs> points to Hurricane and Rosie uh, points to Santana and Morocco. No, sorry, Snooker and Morocco. Um, the Rocker then the Rock then gets the cameraman to show the WWE fans in MSG. And if you smell what the Rock and Sock is cooking. Now, I've really enjoyed seeing the Rock in the years leading up to this and his promos. WrestleMania 16, 17, and 18. They were all fan fantastic. I, I felt like he was losing it here. So I could see where you're coming from. I can completely see. I think the placement of this on the card is perfect because I think even this early in the card, they're losing the crowd big. I think it's very flat in old uh, monosodium glutinate. They're really struggling to like keep hold of them. And I think The Rock does it. MSG, and, that's what I yeah, <laughs> Thank right. you. Yeah. Also, Mick Foley is evidently incapable of doing anything, looking like a well human being and not looking terrified because he just looks like a deer in the headlights, just looks like he's just lost it completely. And I think The Rock kind of has to take this and run with it because it's just not there for Lord Mick, I don't think. I do kind of agree because his promo, the promo that you play in the break for WrestleMania 18 is sensational extraordinary stuff i think this is what it needed to be and also the reality is is that this match doesn't matter the match yeah, that they're in and he's and he's not really so after wrestlemania 18 he leaves wwe for a, a period of time and wins the wwe title Vin- vengeance then faces brock lesnar summerslam leaves again comes back for about a month or two before wrestlemania fights hogan then fights austin at wrestlemania 19 and then loses to goldberg and that's it for him until this match effectively mm. he's out of practice and again he's back to trying to be a baby face he's also slimmed down he looks different he's got less hair he's got a 
goatee. goatee. It's just a different thing. The, the Rock has moved on in his mind, in his look, in every way. He's moved on by this this match. <laughs> and so I just think he is just, he's still good. He's still better than most. He's just not at that. This is the greatest controller of a crowd we've ever seen anymore. I'm going to go a bit John Tarot here. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, really like this. I, I really enjoyed it. I liked I can understand what you mean because it's not it's not the rock pausing and letting the crowd fill in for him while even while he's backstage. But the the charisma on the guy is absolutely outstanding, and I really like his energy. I love I love the the Hamburglar bit with with whatever the fuck it is he says about the hurricane and Rosie. I think it is. I love the bit where he kind of goes back out out into the crowd and the crowd like oh hello that's the rock. I think actually I think the rock is actually genuinely excited to be wrestling yeah. in a match. And I think, he, and I may be putting two and two together and making five, but I wonder if he's really looking forward to being in the ring with Ric Flair. So maybe. I don't know if he would have been at this point, would he? So no, maybe maybe so. that's why. And that which yeah. kind of goes into this match, which I think is a chronic waste, but we'll go into the match, I'm sure, in a minute. Um, could he be described as the Rocky Road? Yeah, he could. That's better. Definitely. Definitely. So this I is on. the next... No, I was going to say Mick... Soufflé? No, that doesn't work because you don't call him Mick Filet, I realised, <laughs> as I was about to say it. Hello, I am Mick Filet. <laughs> so the, this next match is Evolution, which is Randy Orton, Batista, and Mick Fergie. It's the Rock and Sock Connection, The Rock and Mick Filet. They have a match that goes for 17 minutes and ends when Foley gets the hot tag, knocks all the Evolution down. He then hits a double arm DDT on Orton, then goes for Socko, but Orton counters with an RKO out of nowhere and gets the pin. Oh man, your thoughts on this one? Well, the first thing I thought was, what's going on? Because evolution is a mystery! (laughs) And so, what's that even mean? And then I realised that it was Lemmy. And regardless of what everyone seemed to think when he passed away, Lemmy was a bit shit, really. (laughs) Evolution is a scientific fact. Does it necessarily fit in the... (laughs) Or maybe he was deeply religious. And that's his thing. He doesn't understand it because he doesn't believe in science. Mm. Let me drizzle cake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm added, I'm been unleashed to this, by the way, boys. Oh, come on, you're lost, Tom. So there's a nice ovation for Foley, a lovely ovation. They get excited for him, which they then quickly cut off so that the rock can make his entrance, which again plays into the production. There's a lot of this music being cut too quickly. There's no settle. There's no nothing. Is it because they're rushed? You know what, mate? I don't give a fuck if they're rushed. They need to do it better. It's oh, it's still, there, it's still their fault if if they're rushed yeah. because they put all this stuff on the show. It's just, I assume yeah. they're rushed. I, no, in fairness, you are 100% correct. Uh, I was going to ask about the rocking flare because I couldn't remember them ever being in the ring together. It was very cool, I thought, seeing them go at it. Like Rocky does the strut. Later on in the match, Flair tries to do the people's elbow, which I thought was a lovely little thing. The crowd with the are, strut as well. With yeah, the strut. <laughs> yeah. The crowd are begging for Foley and Orton. And then Foley and Orton get in the ring together. And I think the crowd are begging for it to be over. Because Mick Foley is, kind of to your point about uh, The Rock being out of practice, Mick Foley looks like he's never been in a wrestling ring at points in this match, I thought. I found it really sad to watch him because he's obviously not in the best physical health, I don't think. Uh, there's a little bit of Boo in the Rock 
when he cuts off Ric Flair's strut, which I actually quite appreciated from the crowd because I thought, you know what? Let's fucking have it. You've got the classic Ric Flair off the top rope and Lawler again calling him out on it, which I liked. It's just a lot of like many phases of this match are just kind of like a warm little blanket. But it's not a blanket that I particularly needed, to be honest, because I don't really get why it's happening apart from the fact that it's a chance to get Ric Flair in the rock and Mick Foley in the ring together and give Orton and Batista that little bit of a rub as you alluded to at the start of it I didn't think it was bad but I didn't really I don't really get it I don't get it and I think this is a victim of what I've watched in the card as well I'm just like Cena's win means nothing to me because I know what comes but also because of the way that it's done I don't like it and the subsequent matches the tag match and then the Jericho Christian match I don't care and this I don't care about and this is five people that I actually quite like to be honest at different phases in their careers and I just thought it was a bit flat but then they redeemed themselves beautifully by Mick Foley getting the ovation at the end the rock clapping him them having a hug and I was just like oh this is why this match is happening so that Mick Foley can have that moment and I thought cool I'm, I'm all right with that then well I mean I think the reason it's happening is because they want to get the rock on the show that's well, the, main, yeah. re- that's the yeah. main reason it's happening mm. right they want to get the rock on the show but I actually think it's a really functional match because not only do they get the rock on the show and Mick Foley and Ric Flair but you also have them share the ring with Orton and Batista which mm. means that they get the rub from the rock which very few people going forward will do because there's nobody like if you're gonna you got the rock one more time at this show and that's it he's done put him in there with these guys they get a little bit of rub from it It, it, i thought that worked really well i liked the match i thought it was really decent i liked the the stuff between the rock and rick flair by the way the rock and rick flair had a singles match on raw in 2002 so they still did have one other match that's unforgivable you throw that away i guess though the reason they did it is because again the rock's barely going to be around so yeah Maybe they may they might even have asked for it. They might even have said WWE booking is a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I enjoyed the match. I thought it was pretty decent. I don't like I still I, I went on a big tirade about it at WrestleMania eighteen. I don't like the fans booing the rock for whatever reason. And I think in this mm-hmm. case it's about Ric Flair more than anything else, which is mm-hmm. better. But still Flair's the Flair's the hill. <laughs> Let's just be clear. Flair is the hill. And I just, I just rather them not boo him. I don't, I don't like people booing the rock. I, it hurts. It hurts me. Personally. It does, unless they're supposed to. Unless they're supposed to, yeah. And yeah. also, he doesn't look the same. He looks different. He's, he's slimmed down. He's, you know, as I said, got the goatee. His hair's shorter. He doesn't look the same. He doesn't look like the rock. And I think it really told when I look at the match and you look at the promo before the match. I think what I didn't like about it is it didn't feel like him. And there's a lot of he's talked about the fact that when he first went to Hollywood, he was advised to slim down. He was advised to change some of the things that he did. And he, in the end, decided he didn't feel comfortable with it. It wasn't really him and he wasn't getting the success he wanted. And I felt the parallels were here in this show, which was like The Rock is trying to be mainstream rock. And understandably so. I understand why people would have advised him to get away from the wrestler rock, because wrestling is just a bit grubby isn't it and you know if the rock's going to be a respectable mainstream star especially at this time he does need to get away from it but 
it just doesn't feel like him. And I just felt like that affected his performance, both in the ring and before the match. But I did like it. I did enjoy this match. I quite enjoyed this match as well. It is, it is quite strange, though, that a match with, specifically retrospectively, for this match to have so much star power, it'd be a bit of a nothing match and not mm-hmm. have anything really riding on it. But you guys have kind of covered that already. Well, a couple of notes here. I did think, I do think that the uh, Motorhead evolution theme is crap. <laughs> I think it's really <laughs> rubbish. I think it's really slow and plodding and just, shit so i'm glad that you don't hear anymore i mean the, the one thing i will say is that it's evolution's a mystery well no it's that it's an incredibly arrogant and drawn out thing and i think it does fit what they're going for quite well but i think as a in a weird way like as a promo segment entrance theme i think it works quite well but yeah as a match thing it's fun. And also, I noticed this as well with the crowd. Man, they don't give a fuck about evolution. Fuck me, man. No. They do not. Oh, God. Sidney Orton's going to be the world champion in four months. They do not give two, two dicks about him. Do you reckon it's because they're like, well, this is just a shit version of the Horseman? Yeah, yeah. No. People think? There's one thing that I did really want to bring, though, which I think is important that we all discuss. Ric Flair does his old go into the top rope. Mm-hmm. and gets slammed off the top. And I, as I watched it, I was like, this is a weird move to to both take and receive, I imagine, because someone's got to grab a whole handful of bollocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, just literally as I thought that, I saw the rock, he puts his hand up, he goes to put it right at Ric Flair's danglies, and goes, you know, I'm not having none of that, hand on the thigh, out and over the top rope. So I need to rewatch a lot of Ric Flair matches now <laughs> to see how many people do that because that's the first time I've ever known that because usually most people just go fucking perineum, handful of bollocks uh, and off. From now on, Tom, what I want from you, every single time Ric Flair does that and we see him do it, I want a full report on where, where the, the hand was, where it was grabbed and all that stuff. I mean, I hate to put this to you, but there's not going to be many more, unfortunately. Well, not in the WrestleMania series. No. But, yeah. But, you know. and, and in fairness, we've got a whole back catalogue that you can go through. Oh, well, re- rewatch everything we've done on the podcast and go back. Yep. And I expect well, no, you've done no. in, in the next four, in four weeks' time, which is when you next Yeah, that'd be good. Do you think <laughs> that um, maybe The Rock was thinking about his Hollywood career when he did that? He was like, I don't want someone from Access Hollywood with me fucking grabbing Ric Flair's dick. Like, I've got to go for the thigh. That's much more respectable. I think there's a case for that. I, I forgot. I'm glad you mentioned this. The Rock takes one heck of a Batista bomb. And I'm like, bloody heck, mate. He almost powerbombed the Hollywood out of him. Powerbombed him so hard his tattoo came off. And his goatee. That would have been amazing if his <laughs> goatee had come out. He's, yeah. He has that through to WrestleMania 28, doesn't he? That repulsive goatee. Don't know. Not sure. I'm sure in the promo pictures of him and John Cena, he's got that shitty goatee, which is mm, uh, disappointing. Maybe. Next up, we get footage of the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Our oh. inductees are superstar Billy Graham, Sergeant Slaughter, Tito Santana, Harley Race, Jesse Ventura, Bobby Heenan, Greg Valentine, Don Morocco, Pete Rose, Big John Studd, and the Junkyard Dog. A bumper class I mean, of 2004. Howard Finkel introduces Mean Gene Oakland, who introduces that class of 2004 again. Uh, Pete Rose looks pretty made up with being there, I thought. That was that was nice. Mm. And uh, Valentine, as I say, has Triple H's hair. <laughs> And it goes and, on for a bit, doesn't it, though? Fuck me. Yeah. It does oh, a bit. J- JYD's daughter looks so much like him. It was extraordinary. There's obviously the music. Yeah. And there's a, some cretin in the crowd holding a Steve. thank you Vince sign. And I was like, fuck me. And then I was like, this goes on. Jesse 
Ventura looks like latter life Macho Man, I thought. He does. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, then I realised that it would be the other way round. But yeah, and then there's a really abrupt cut at the end. And I was like, oh, I noticed. So there's a bit in the footage where it shows about Bobby Keenan saying that he just wishes that Gorilla was still here, which is a, oh, it tugs at your heartstrings. Tito Santana looks like such a fucking dad, which he probably (laughs) does at this stage, let's be fair, but he looks like the part. And Hardy Race has been absolutely smashing in the buffet backstage. You know it. You know he's been at that fucking table all afternoon. Hardy Race in his buffet. Yeah, chicken fingers. He's had some of them. He's had some fucking cold chips. He's had, you know, some a really well, he, disappointing, uh, like a samosa. He, he would have done, but the big show got there first. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and also, for some reason, both of them on the side of their plate, for in, inexplicable reasons, have got coleslaw. <laughs> <laughs> Not but they, but they've, yeah, they've left them. <laughs> they've left it. They've got it. I mean, that looks exotic. <laughs> I'm going to try that. And took one closer look at it and gone, carrots? I need that muck. Give me the beige. I want the beige. <laughs> It's all about the beige. (laughs) It's going to give you the shits. If you can take it. So, I mean, this class is probably about the most deserving class of all, perhaps without Pete Rose, but then Pete Rose should have been in the um, Baseball Hall of Fame. So, you know, swings and roundabouts, really. I was looking through earlier on. I was starting to think about what we're going to do after WrestleMania, after the WrestleMania series. And Mm. one idea I've got, I think, might stick. And I was like looking through, <laughs> like, like, right, yeah. And I was I was looking through the match histories of Tito Santana and Greg Valentine for oh, reasons I won't go me. into now. And both of them are still wrestling. They're in their seventies and they're both still no. relatively regularly having matches. Tito Santana, I think his last match was about three months ago, and Valentine maybe a couple of years ago. But they've literally wrestled all the way through the 2000s all the way through the 2010s they've been regulars on the independent circuit wrestling each other a lot as well during that time do you know what genuinely if tony khan will insist on hiring fucking sting there's no excuse for not hiring tito santana and greg the hammer valentine to to have another match over the intercontinental title because they need another title in AEW. so next up tony chimmel um, does some t- uh, <laughs> yeah yeah and i mention it because he looks for all the world like peter k during this particular <laughs> did it make you feel tired tinky oh no it didn't but only because i was so focused on how much he looked like peter k mm-hmm. they he then introduces the next match which is the playboy evening gown match sable and tory Wilson against miss jackie and stacy keebler a match that goes for two minutes and 40 seconds and ends when tory wilson reverses a roll-up and pins a miss jackie got a question why is it win by pinfall or submission that's not the traditions of the evening gown match <laughs> if you got rid of the words you win by pinfall and submission. My question would remain, which is, why is it? Why is it even? Uh, yeah, perfs in there. Yeah, but you know yeah. what? I was, I, I, while I was watching it, I was thinking about this, and I even mentioned it to my wife. I was like, God, this is sexy. <laughs> Well, my point was, this is so not sexy. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. I was like, this is, I don't understand how, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, the crowd are kind of doing their thing where they cheer certain spots, which are a bit suggestive, if you like. And I was like, this is what toxic masculinity really is, is mm. this sense that they have to cheer along, because if they don't, someone might think that they're, I don't know, okay. gay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like, it's not sexy at all. It's not slightly <laughs> sexy. It's just, it's just... <laughs> 
it's just sad it's just really sad and shit and i just thought i don't there's nothing that appeals to me about this and i don't understand why anyone thought that there was anything appealing about it i completely agree with you thinking absolutely 100 and i'll tell you what right sable looks so fucked off when she's walking to the ring she's forcing these occasional smiles that make her look absolutely demented because she's trying to force them so badly it's like arnold schwarzenegger as t1000 in terminator 2 when he <laughs> in the learns how scene. to smile yeah yeah where he learns how to smile not, not even in the actual film now miss jackie comes down her music absolutely slaps it's a great tune but she looks genuinely fucked off to be there as well Stacey Keebler looks incredibly uncomfortable being there. And Tori Wilson looks like she's not overly keen on being there. But I think she's kind of of the mind. She's like, well, we kind of signed up for this. And it's horrendous. Like They undress at the start, which make the rules, the traditional tried and tested evening gown match rules <laughs> redundant. So I understand why that happens. Taz and Michael Cole are on commentary. And... I like both of them, Got I must say, as commentators. I think Taz is hit and miss. Michael Cole has been very hit and miss over the years. But I overall, I like him. They are appalling in this match. They are absolutely appalling. They're joking about Taz is pencil stabbing Michael Cole. And then it's not my pencil. <laughs> little penis joke, little penis joke. Miss Jackie then effectively gets attacked by all three other women in stripped. And then there's a little bit of a uh, pinning combination thing where they think it's Stacey Keebler and Tori Wilson, which, mm. to their credit, isn't awful. And the crowd actually pop for properly. Are like, they're, not, you know they're, what? They're, they're going, women, women. No, like, like, they are. In fairness, I don't think they are. They are for the rest of for the. So it's two minutes, 41 seconds. They are for the other two minutes, 26 seconds of this match but i think there's a genuine thing where they're like you know what actually you're trying but this is ghastly isn't it like you've summed it up better than i ever could tinky it's horrible horrible who is miss jackie i'll tell you what though i'd act for wank afterwards (laughs) jackie miss jackie is jackie gader who is one of the tough enough winners i think of season three of tough enough okay so it was worth her putting herself through all that to get to this then she's the only one who shows any dignity in not getting undressed and as old man said it's when to get stripped but she's got some long frilly gloves on and they start mm. coming down and they do wonders for her selling in this with the arms flapping around all over the place i can't really say anything else that you guys haven't it's it's really crap and there's one bit that i did like though about the commentary when i think stacy keebler does a cartwheel and taz goes oh i love cartwheels that's a really good idea of, like, Taz seeing Hillbilly Jim do a cartwheel at WrestleMania 3. They're going, oh, I love that. Well, <laughs> or Bam well, Bigelow doing, doing his pre-match cartwheels. Like, and they had a feud in WCW. I imagine they have, like, their blood feud uh, in ECW, sorry. They're having, like, their blood feud. And, like, Taz's like, yeah, what? And then Bam Bam Bigley does a cartwheel, and he's like, oh, "That was really fucking cool, man." <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed that. The one, the only other note that I've got, are two notes actually, is that one is uh, there's a bit of consistency in this because I don't know if you remember, but we watched another match involving some women. I can't remember what it was. And Jack Doan was the referee, and the mm-hmm. women all rolled over him. So there's a bit of sure. bit of consistency there. And at the beginning, when Sable gets into the ring and waves, she's got really long fingers, like Jack Skellington, really long. I was, it just really put me off. 
enormous fingers. Lovely second mention of Jack Jack the Pumpkin King. <laughs> Lovely old job. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's all I got. This match is shit, and it's quite unsavory. And it's one of those matches where I was like, I my wife don't come into the room and throw in this. You know, uh, one of those matches. Uh, I watched this Sunday morning. My fiance was safely tucked up in bed, and I got up, and the dog was in bed with us. And every now and then, what will happen is the dog will hear me come downstairs, and then we'll be like, oh, I'd like to go downstairs, actually. And because she's only small, we don't let her go up and down the stairs because she let her back. And my fiance will carry the dog downstairs. No, it's just like, don't let this be one of those moments. Because I didn't know it was coming next after I'd finished watching the Evolution and Rockin' Phony match. And I was just like, for the... I don't know, it's like probably about eight, nine minutes that this is going on. I was on edge. I was on edge. And I don't mean Adam Copeland. I was going to say, he's not on the show. <laughs> um, there is one thing that I was grateful for at the end of this match, is that Jerry Lawler wasn't on commentary. I don't well, know. I think he would have been better because these two, because yeah. Michael Cole doesn't hold Taz back at all. So the two of them mm-hmm. are just like a couple of kids, whereas at least Jim yeah. Ross is basically like scolding Jerry Lawler most of the time mm-hmm. when they're on commentary. Yeah. So. And yeah, because... Um, I was about halfway through the match. Taz thanks Michael Cole for winning the coin toss so that they could commentate on it. And I thought exactly the same thing to you. I was like, you know what? I wish JR was on this because you know he refused to do it. He would have yeah. just been like, I ain't doing that. That's a that's a, a reoccurring joke between uh, Taz and, um, yeah. and Michael Cole because they say that during this a really crap like pre wrestle I think it might be before WrestleMania twenty four, WrestleMania no. twenty three. Twenty two. Oh, twenty two. There's a really crap battle royal that they commentate on at the end of it. But Taz goes, really I'm really glad you won the coin toss so we could call this match and Michael Cole's on the corner just doubled over absolutely yeah. in pieces. It's amazing. So we actually showed Tinky and friend of the show forty that battle royal before we all watched WrestleMania 25 around our old flat, Tommy. Mm-hmm. And we were laughing our heads off, laughing like dreams we were. And you know who wasn't laughing? Tinky and Fordy. Because they didn't get it. <laughs> and I, I don't even remember it. That's how, that's how much of an impression it made on me. But talking of impressions, goodness knows what kind of an impression the British fans of the WWE oh, on the rest of the God. world, because they are up there. <sighs> WWE make a big deal of every people from all over the world coming to their show, and all we get are a load of British people, all of which looking ill, most of which wearing beanies and looking like they're sweating too much, talking about how they're really excited to be there. One guy is like, oh, I'm really excited to be here. He couldn't look less excited if he tried. Mm-hmm. I'm like, fucking go back indoors and stay off the camera and stop representing the country. I'm wondering if any of them are Stephen, because if they were, he's off the podcast. <laughs> but it, made, it, made me, it made me think none of them are Stephen, because we know what Stephen looks like. But yeah. I will say that I like to think that he was waiting in queue and they turned him down for these people. <laughs> He said, sorry, mate, you just don't have the charisma that these people have got. <laughs> One guy with an absolutely awful moustache, and he goes, ugh. And he, he goes, <laughs> he goes, ugh, my skin's tingly. <laughs> That's what I have written down. He sounds like such a... He's just excited, and I feel really bad for the guy, because he is just excited. And he's obviously been like, they've been like, do you want to be on camera? And he's like, yeah, yeah, And he, he comes across as such a... <laughs> he looks so, he's so jet-lagged. He's so fucking tired. He's got an awful tash. 
Oh, poor cunt. <laughs> so backstage, Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero are together. Eddie says that Benoit is like family to him, and no matter what happens tonight, win, lose, or draw, he's proud of him. Benoit gets annoyed and says not to talk to him of losing. Eddie says nobody believes he can win. Benoit says he believes in him, and tonight is his night. Eddie says that's the Wolverine he's been looking for. Eddie Guerrero trying to G up Benoit here. I didn't really understand this because if you, I know this is probably an hour and a half before the hype video. There is not an ounce of doubt in Benoit and his actions, mm. like in it. And I was a bit like, okay. I mean, obviously, if you're watching the show week to week, they might have been leaning in towards that. And you're obviously trying to build this underdog story that we kind of talked about. But I thought this was a bit crap. And I'll tell you what, right? You can see why they didn't go with Benoit long term, can't you? Because he's got about as much charisma as my anus. Well, you know, it's, not also, it's also not about his charisma for me. It's about what we talked about earlier on, which is you can't invest emotionally in Chris Benoit. The people who invest emotionally in Chris Benoit are people who follow him as a person. And this yeah. is, I think, my issue is that that's why those people struggle emotionally with seeing him celebrated. Yeah. Because they think of him as Chris Benoit, the person. When I look at him as Chris Benoit, the act... I'm like, there's no emotion at all. He doesn't doesn't mm. give you any emotion. So that's why he, he couldn't be a main eventer or the top guy long term, because he doesn't inspire that emotion in people. No, well, to be fair, he does now. Well, yeah, it's true. I mean, look, if you if you can, I'm not saying it's not important to be charismatic, but I think ultimately that is one of the ingredients that can help you mm. to get over with a crowd. If you don't have it, but you're still over, it doesn't matter how charismatic you are. But Benoit was only over, in my view, because the people who really liked him liked him as a person and his career because of the way he approached pro wrestling. So, so I've done a lot of bashing of Dave Meltzer on this podcast and in life, to be honest. But I think it was the 10 year anniversary of the events that happened. He was on Chris Jericho's podcast and they were talking about him and like they were both at the start. They were like, right, we're going to talk about the person because Meltzer obviously knew him from his performance side and Jericho was obviously very close with him. The man sounded like he was an absolute cock and he obviously is because of what happened and we know like Tommy touched upon there were like extenuating circumstances in that in terms of the trauma that he'd suffered in his brain and stuff like that through his wrestling but the guy just sounds like an absolute kind of, and I think you're right Tiki that's why people like in a broader picture, like the casual wrestling fan couldn't get that emotional connection with him. And this promo does nothing to change that. No, agreed. Agreed. So anyway, we move on with that. Next up is the Cruiserweight Open. Done that already. Fuck off. Done it. Shit off. We then get the video package to hype Lesnar and Goldberg. Starting with Lesnar and Goldberg's confrontation backstage at the Royal Rumble. Lesnar then attacking Goldberg during the Rumble match, allowing Angle to eliminate him. Lesnar's match with Guerrero at No Way Out, where Austin gave Goldberg a front row ticket. Goldberg spearing Lesnar in the match, helping Guerrero to win the title. Lesnar on his knees begging to give him to, for somebody to give him Goldberg. Vince saying nobody could contain this match. Austin then encourages the match to happen and Vince makes Austin the referee. Lesnar then attacks Austin and Raw. Austin invades SmackDown and he and Brock Lesnar have a brawl. Now, what I will say about this video package is the one thing it made me feel was very, very sad that Austin and Brock Lesnar could never match because I yep. really enjoyed mm. 
their confrontation on SmackDown, I thought it was excellent. And I was yeah. just like, oh, come on, give us Austin. Fuck, fuck off, Goldberg. Give us Austin and Lesnar. But also, Austin takes an F5, which yeah. obviously, you know, he'd retired at this point, like for health conditions. I was like, fucking hell, that's a big move to take for someone with who's got such bad neck issues. The other weird thing, though, in that promo is that Brock Lesnar begs Vincent Mann, literally gets on his knees yeah. and begs yeah. for a match. And I was like, that's weird. I can't, given the way that he's been kind of portrayed and booked and, you know, everything since he's since his return that seems really really strange i wonder whether or not at the time lesnar was leaving obviously or even if he wasn't leaving the point is is that maybe at that time he didn't have the the negotiating or the bargaining power that he would later Mm. have and after after that pretty much lesnar i'm sure okays everything that they give him so i don't imagine he'd be doing that anymore (laughs) no Um, what i thought was very telling on this because obviously I've heard many stories that Goldberg wasn't well liked at this time and basically wasn't liked through this whole run that he had. After the initial stages, he is barely in this video and it's a Lesnar Austin feud, isn't it? They're basically mm-hmm. showing, and like you said, Tinky, oh, fuck it, I would have eaten that up. Num, 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 num. Delicious. Yeah, it would be great. Yeah, to lovely, see that. lovely. So, is that match next? It's Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg, a near 14 minute ma- match with Steve Austin as a special guest referee. Um, this one ends when Goldberg hits a jackhammer and gets the pin. After the match, the fans sing na 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 goodbye to Lesnar. They are clued into the fact that Lesnar is off after this match. Lesnar flips the bird at the fans, and Austin stunners him Goldberg then gets in the ring again but fans boo Goldberg so Austin decides to toast Goldberg and stun him too Austin the non now the retired wrestler is standing tall at the end of this match with two wrestlers who are both leaving the company talk about a lame duck match if there ever was one really weirdly my memory of this match going in was that that Goldberg was leaving everyone knew Goldberg had his contract wasn't he hadn't signed a new contract he wasn't interested in signing a new contract he'd had his year he was done and I remember before the show not knowing about Lesnar leaving because it, it only really came out sort of two three days or maybe a week beforehand and at the time I wasn't in the practice of checking the internet regularly to see what was going on in the inner workings of the business mainly because wrestling wasn't on my mind as much at this period I was in I was at university I wasn't seeing wasn't watching it you know every week and you I were shagging remember, weren't you that's what you were doing you dirty sod I was trying but not being <laughs> as successful as I would have liked I'm sure and I, I was really shocked when Goldberg won because I was so convinced that it was already a, a lame duck match because Lesnar was surely going to beat him because Goldberg was on his way out. And then to find out Lesnar was going as well was just mind blowing. So that was my main memory of it. What did we think of the match? Let's start with you, old man. The Austin comes down on his little ATV having a lovely time, then parks it in a very inconvenient spot. Like the arena is just not big enough for him to do this. I don't quite know why they've insisted on him riding it down, probably for the pop. This is for probably six minutes of the 13.48 embarrassing and excruciating Austin looks so fucked off because obviously they they stupid they know what's going to happen and these two guys would have probably told Austin what's going to happen and they start working a basically walk around and get you sold out chance the little goodbye song and then some Austin chance and then they do a collar and elbow tie up and it lasts Oh, good 45 seconds, I reckon. At the end of which, Goldberg is somehow sweating profusely. I don't quite know how. He's literally walked around and then done that. And then they have a little bit of physicality. There's some holds. I think the jackhammer that he hit 
that Goldberg hits for the win looks phenomenal. I will say that. I was like, oh, fair fucks. That's really good. Lesnar obviously, like, like, Lesnar obviously gets a real tough rap, especially for, I think, a period during his now long return that he's been part of WWE for, like, not really being very generous with anything. He obviously helps out with the jackhammer and it looks great. It's all about the aftermatch shenanigans though, isn't it? It's all about Austin stunning both of them out of the company in effect. And I just thought, why the fuck did they go ahead with it? Like, I know they're advertising it, but backstage, this must have been an absolute train wreck to have watched him to be like, fuck, you know. And they, they managed to get the crowd going by not doing anything. They then kill the crowd when they are doing stuff because they don't care. Then there's the finish. Then they're waiting for Austin to do the stunners. And then it's done. And I'm just like, oh, this is awful. I think I get the feeling that this was going to be the start of the momentum through to the end of the show when it doesn't work at all. I will go through my, I'll read out my notes verbatim. <laughs> Here we go. Strange seeing Brock in pants. Oh, yeah. Big, big, you sold out chance that the comms don't really acknowledge. The next note says they had to acknowledge that you sold, you sold out <laughs> chance because there's so many of them. They're just staring at each other. Huge Austin chance. So boring. Watched a thread of Yaya Torre's best goals on Twitter. <laughs> God, this match is crap. Goldberg wins with a jackhammer. <laughs> That's Those are my notes for this. And then the actual really good stuff happens, which is the two stunners. And Brock flipping the crowd is brilliant. And it makes the stunner even better. And then Austin stunning Goldberg is absolutely perfect. It's the best thing that could have happened in that in that situation. And it almost made the previous like 14 minutes worth it. Not quite, but it almost made up for it because it's so good when he stunners Goldberg. I'll tell you what, though, Goldberg pretty much new sells it. He lies down for about four and a half seconds and then sits up. And I was a bit like, I'll bet Austin backstage was fucking running to kill him. But ultimately, I think this is probably the worst match I've seen on this odyssey we've been on so far. It's a rubbish match, but I found it fascinating to watch because I just, mm. I couldn't get into their heads. I was like, I don't, what I don't get is what I'm trying to understand is why it was like this. Like why, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I understand the, the fans are going to be booing them and they're not going to react in the way that perhaps they hope them to. But you'd have thought Lesnar and Goldberg just go out there and go, right, well, let's just have seven, eight minute match. You chuck me around, I'll chuck you around, we'll get out, all done. It will be a dull affair, but it won't be notable. Instead, though, it's almost like nobody trusts anybody else. It's like Lesnar's going off to do his NFL stuff. Goldberg's basically decided he wants to retire. I mean, I know he came back, but that, that's effectively what's happening here. And and as a consequence, it almost feels like neither of them want to get hurt. So they're just like, look, it, I don't, it's really odd. It's like they don't trust one another to, to actually have any moves against mm-hmm. one another. And they don't trust each other to not make the other look weak either like they're trying to protect an aura that doesn't even matter because neither of them are going to be a wrestler tomorrow i think there's an element of that i also think there's an element of goldberg doesn't know how to do a match that's longer mm-hmm. than two minutes long and i don't think brock lesnar is he was still he was still very good but i still don't think he's at the level to be able to truly lead a match against a goldberg either so i think there's an element of them just not really knowing what to do we've seen another match i can't remember, you, you might have to remind me what it was we saw another match in which Austin was the guest referee. It was in like 98 and 99. Undertaker versus Kane at Judgment Undertaker. Day. That's right. And again, the same thing happens. As soon as
soon as you put Austin in as the referee, he sucks all of the heat off of the other wrestlers as well. So there's throwing those two, th- those three things on top of what you said, Tinky, about there potentially being like a level of distrust amongst them, I think just basically makes for an absolute car crash of a match. I, I just feel like it's possible that people were worried about these two having a match with each other in terms of being able to lead it or being able to work it but WWE usually and they're smart enough to do this would just have someone work with them for a couple of weeks before and just script it out you mm. know and that's what I don't get like I could understand if this was a listless match you know they go in for six seven minutes it's just move move there's no real rhyme or reason but they get in and get out and it's done it's just the way this match goes I find bizarre and fascinating I just don't really get what's going through their heads you plant that seed of Austin and Lesnar and that tension and in my mind if you know Goldberg's going you play on that tension then you like Tommy said you ain't gonna get 30 minutes out of Goldberg anyway regardless like he's not especially at this point I've heard him interviewed he said like his confidence at this point was so low in terms of what he could do in the ring because of how he'd basically been murdered and buried by Triple H but like you said just do a six seven minute thing get in get out get paid do it safely and that was what you said to you that was what hit me it's like they don't trust each other they don't trust each other to do anything and whereas you just get a fucking nerve hold on I tell you what's a shame as well though is that about five minutes into the match they finally actually do something Goldberg does a military press into a spine buster and in that moment you're like this could be a great match because these two mm. can do great power high impact yeah. power moves and they look bloody good when they do it this is the this is the vision of this match that they're going to have these two really high impact power mm. guys but they just fill it with so much crap in between and so much nothing in between and so much confusion in between that it's just completely lost it was good that they got their kind of chance to to redo this stuff later in their careers mm. and they probably did it in a much better way which was just short sharp bursts mm. of matches that allowed them to do a couple of power moves but i think if they had both been staying with the company after this we could have had something pretty special here actually i do mm-hmm. i as we yeah. as we've been going through this you know all of these you know shows i've grown to quite like goldberg's work if i'm honest i think he's a really decent i think in the, if you can give him the right circumstances and i understand what you're saying lesnar was also still quite green i mean he's about three four years into his career at this point but we've seen how wwe can script wrestlers through matches and make them really great see hogan warrior for example of that at wrestlemania 6 i don't see why they that that wouldn't have been the case here interestingly it's funny you say actually because you said that um obviously brock was green only two or three years in it the reality is looking over like the span of a lot of wrestlers careers goldberg was still reasonably green at that point as well because he would have been what seven eight years most, yeah, but most of those years not wrestling. Yeah, exactly. Most of the years just going in, doing two, three pound, a spear and a jackhammer and, you know, his, his sidekick, you know, the, the Bret Hart destroyer. And that's that's about it, isn't it? So it's not yeah, really I mean, a surprise the match was a disaster. No, totally. I mean, you can, on Cage Match, you can get a listing of every single match an individual's had by just going onto their profile. And most wrestlers have got like 30 odd pages of matches at least, each with 100 matches on. Goldberg's got four pages from his very first match right the way through to his last match. And that that career spans over... 20 years he ain't doing the house shows in the small towns is he either well, he, was. he was he oh, was for wc so he was doing the, the house shows but you know realistically is he had very few matches 
<laughs> undercut. <laughs> Prove myself wrong immediately. Well, he didn't do it house shows. You know, he actually did loads of house shows. Yeah. Well, he didn't do loads, but he did. Okay, I'll okay, go fuck myself. Don't forget, he wasn't a star before he went to WSW. So he was doing them. He just, he, you know, he had to, but eventually, no. I'll tell you what, his, uh, his entrance goes on, doesn't it? And this, he must, like, I think he starts his entrance in New Jersey. <laughs> and then basically walks over. We get an external shot of Madison Square Garden and a fireworks display. Then the announcement that oh, WrestleMania 21 is going to take place at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. And then Fink introduces Vince McMahon to the crowd. He comes out and says thank you on behalf of WWE superstars, past and present, and on behalf of WWE and the McMahon family. That's it weirdly sincere from vince this one i presume because maybe vince has got some form of something in his heart and msg is probably as close as it gets to him as you know home i suppose i think that this is an attempt to perk that little crowd up maybe maybe that's That's what that's what that's what i thought immediately because i think quite understandably that that match that they just watched goldberg and old lezzy would have really (laughs) really taken the steam out of them and i think and also i thought you imagine living anywhere near madison square garden and all that pyro's going off i thought that annoying so on saturday night not next door but a door after me there's an all-day rager going on oh those loud that, that fucking rough ass family <laughs> that's right what's a rager <laughs> just a big old fucking party going on from about midday until about 11 o'clock it kind of quietened down a little bit and i was like my fucking daughter's trying to sleep you fucking cunts and i'm sat there in the front room watching this watching this rubbish WrestleMania 20. And I on your own? Hear, on my own, yeah, because my <laughs> wife had gone out to watch Eurovision with some with her family. And I was sat there and I could just hear this. Yeah, it was just, ah. Oh. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, Manhattan. The fireworks. It just, and the thing about the fireworks, they just come out of nowhere. They're just yeah. outside. It's bang. And like, for the benefit of no one, because yeah. the people who would surely like the fire, imagine if you were just walking down past MSG and like you're just doing some shopping and all of a sudden those fireworks go off. In the post 9 11 New York. Jesus yeah. Christ. Come on, lads. What are you doing? Um, also, was the DJ playing Steve Batman's entrance music? <laughs> No test. Oh, so it'd be a test Steve Blackman tag team and they merge the musics. Beautiful. Right. Yeah. It's time for that other. Come on, Tommy. <laughs> come on, Tommy. Come on, Tommy. <laughs> come on in with the. <laughs> oh, I don't know what you wanted me to do. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Why was Tom a, a muffled dog? <laughs> what big? That's Tess's music. Okay. Anyway, we then next get the second tag team title four way match. It's Rikishi and Scotty Too Hot against the Basham Brothers against the APA against the world's greatest tag team. I got to admit, I cannot remember a thing about this match. All I can remember is that my um, notes say that Rikishi takes out Bradshaw with a Simone drop and then standing Banzai drop on Danny gets the pin after the match scotty and rikishi dance to no reaction whatsoever <laughs> no i've got uh, <laughs> the only notes i've got are the bashing the bishop brothers 
um, and the fact that Bradshaw's got JBL hair at this point. But what I think you probably could do is just cut, you know, the bit that we spoke about earlier about the other four-way tag match and just paste it into this bit. I thought that's what the WWE did for this match, to be honest. Basically, yeah. So my notes are Benjamin and Haas, great music. APA, great music. Basham's shit music at this point and remember Keisha and Scotty obviously got great music and then I've made another note about the crowd deader than dead I don't know what that means but they're dead they're very tired well, I think, that, I think that's what it means yeah but I think they're tired this crowd it's tired of crap bang average wrestling I think which I mean to be, honest, to be fair I've been there so I watched the show as well Um, it's only when Rikishi gets in that the crowd show any interest and then it's done and I was depressed, really. The only thing I found that was notable about this is that when we did WrestleMania 18, I suggested that Farouk could presumably no longer go because he wasn't really wrestling and the mm. APA got eliminated really quickly. Mm. Here, I don't think he even gets in the ring. So I'm no, assuming I... he quite legitimately cannot even yeah. work at all. And of course, Bradshaw would, about a month later, become JBL and the rest is history. That's it. That's all I had to say about this. It was not good. It was worse because we'd already seen the same match affect. Yeah. earlier in the show i was just like why is this happening why do, why does this need to be on it why do any of these tag teams need any airtime whatsoever and also at the end when rikishi and scotty too hot are having a dance to as tinky said no crowd reaction there's a lot of pyro for it and i was just like what so next up we get the video i say video package is literally just a few seconds hyping edge's return from injury then fink introduces jesse ventura comes uh. to the ring Ventura then points out Donald Trump in the front row. He interviews Trump. Trump says WrestleMania means a lot and Vince is a good guy and does a great job. Ventura then asks for Trump's support, both focal and financial, for a run at the White House. So just to let you know how that went for Jesse Ventura, it didn't formally begin. Mm -hmm. And by 2009, he was presenting conspiracy theories with Jesse Ventura on an American TV channel. But that's not why we're here, is it, Tinky? We're here for Steve, surely. That is our Steve in the background, isn't it? Yeah. Steve yeah. Coriander. I didn't notice. I didn't notice at all. Steve, he sent Steve. the picture in the WhatsApp group. Yeah, oh, he, he, did, he did, but I he stood I, up behind I, it with a massive fucking s- sign saying Steve with an arrow pointing towards him. It's there obviously been, Steve. There have been so many messages in the WhatsApp group recently. I haven't been able to keep up with it. One thing I will say about Steve Coriander, our man, our man on on what do you our, call our, it? Armando Estrada. <laughs> no, I was thinking, what do you call it when you've got like a, a roving reporter who's out, our man on the scene, as as he was, our, our reporter there at the time, 19 years ago, before we, any of us knew him. He's standing up with his big sign, one that says, Brett is still my hero, and one that says, Steve, ruining the view for everyone. He needs to have a word for himself, considering that on his podcast, one of him, I can't remember him or his mate, were slagging off my favourite rapper, Westside Gun, for standing up in the front row. So, you know, he needs to have a word with himself. Cool. Okay. Um, <laughs> cool. That's getting edited. <laughs> I, 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 to be honest, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's not very good. Ultimately, it's pretty boring. It's not very notable. It's only notable, I guess, because Donald Trump would go on to be president and we all know what a massive fuck up that was. Next up, then, is the Victoria Bolly Holly World women's title match which we've covered then video hype for the wwe title match showing angle attacking guerrero and saying he did it for the fans and for the wwe he says guerrero is a drug addict and that's not the champion that wwe needs 
Angle then talking about the moral foundation of America crumbling. Angle says Guerrero will only bring disgrace upon WWE. A match on SmackDown then happens between Guerrero and Paul Heyman, where Paul Heyman cons Guerrero into having his hands handcuffed behind his back, where Heyman backs away from Guerrero enough, and then Angle comes out and takes advantage of the situation and pummels Guerrero into the ground. When we go back to the stadium, Victoria is finishing the head shave job of uh, Molly Holly, and Angle comes out, which is what old man was angry about earlier on. Look at his face, Tinky. Talking about unsavory, though, the whole Eddie Guerrero is a drug addict thing is a big problem for me here. I, I just don't see like, why can't they go? Why can't this? And this would be legitimately fine. Why can't the story be Eddie Guerrero is not a moral, you know, has got no moral fiber. He lies. He cheats. He steals. Yeah. It's so simple. And it's the character. Yeah. There's no part of the on-screen narrative, on-screen canon, which says Guerrero is a drug addict until this point. It's well, lazy, shitty, reality-based nonsense. Well, also, didn't, didn't Kurt Angle once say on a podcast that he was taking 60 pills a day yeah. when he was working with WWE? So, again, like not only is it the, the fact that it's non-canon and shit, it's also massively hypocritical as well. Well, I'm sure that also, Angle didn't actually feel this way. It was... <laughs> It was scripted to do to do this. I guess he's probably not going to go. I don't think I'm going to say that because I'm kind of a drug addict. Yeah. <laughs> also, they don't need an angle. His facials in this video package <laughs> and through the match are spectacular. He is so intense and that he looks like he wants to kill Eddie Guerrero. And why does he want to kill him? Because he wants the title. That's all you need. Yeah. Make it make it about the title. Ain't difficult, is it? There's any wrestler you could ever do an angle with where he's just like, I want to win the title because I am the best. It's Kurt yeah. Angle. And then, like you said, Tinky, if you need a reason for the fans to genuinely boo him, you say this guy doesn't represent this company. He lies, he cheats, he steals. He's not morally fit to be the face of this company. And then he could bring a, back the three eyes. It's yeah. the central part of Eddie Guerrero's character. Yeah. It's so obvious, it hurts. Like I, don't, I just well, don't get it. It's stupid. It, especially after he got rid of his mother. That became the central thing, I think. <laughs> But also, Tinky, to, to your point as well, in a warped way, it's the polar opposite of what Angle's character is as well. In that, I know we're going back a couple of years to his on the integrity, intelligence, and whatever the one was, the three eyes. And it's through a warped version where he sees himself as better than everyone else. But it's kind of an integral part of his character that he's better than everyone as well. So it yeah. kind of works both ways. Fucking hell, yeah. why, why, why don't we run a wrestling company, Tinky? It's just, it's just... It's just stupid. It's just really, really stupid. Well, the reason we don't is because I'd have to do all the fucking work. <laughs> do, do you know what? I, he's right. Our next match is Eddie Guerrero versus Kurt Angle. It's for the WWE title. It goes for 21 and a half minutes. This one ends when Eddie Guerrero does something a little bit cheeky. He loosens his boot after just about escaping from the ankle lock. And then when Angle comes in to reapply it, Eddie Guerrero manages to escape with Angle taking Guerrero's boot with him. Angle then charges Eddie and he counters with a small package for the win. I thought this match was very good. I I really liked it. I think that um there's some really good like really good chain wrestling at the beginning, which was which was quite nice to see. They tell quite a decent story in that like Eddie hurts his ribs after a fell top rope splash to the outside of the ring, and then Angle like targets that area. The it made me think that during the match because there's a bit where we spoke earlier about Eddie Guerrero's physique and how incredible. Eddie. <laughs> and Eddie. Ah. 
incredible, incredible physique that he's in. And the Kurt Angle gets him in an abdominal stretch and it makes Eddie Guerrero look like he's got a massive gut. So I dread to think what I would look like if I was shirtless <laughs> and in an abdominal stretch. So I was like, bloody hell. It's really stiff, which is one of those things that like you watch it and you're like, oh, yeah. But then like you said earlier, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but it kind of obviously counted to, towards like both his and Chris Benoit's demise a little bit that that stiffness but mm-hmm. it's really good there's a lovely some lovely spots in the match like Eddie Guerrero does a lovely reversal from an angle slam into a DDT there's a great bit where the, the great false finish after the frog splash which is just absolutely absolutely tremendous and one thing I also kind of thought during this match and I've been meaning to say this before as well that Kurt Angle's standing ankle lock looks absolutely incredible because we've seen yeah. kind of Ken Shamrock do it and he always did it on his knees and it always didn't yeah. never looked quite as good so it was one of those things the bit that I love is though it was when the boot comes off and Angle kind of sees it and then Eddie goes oh shit yeah. and then Angle charges at him and what I love about the small package that um, Eddie gets gets um, Angle in is the speed in which he gets it it's almost like mm-hmm. it's almost like a snap suplex to some extent, yeah. like he, he properly gets down really quick and gets him gets him in a small package and it's just a, a great a great ending and it's what I quite like about it is that it's whilst it's in keeping with Eddie Guerrero's character, he doesn't cheat. He gets one over on him. He he, he tricks him. He doesn't do anything against the rules, I guess is what I'm saying. He doesn't he doesn't like do the thing with the chair that they grew to rely on where he throws the chair and falls down. He doesn't do that shit. Everything that he does, whilst it's underhanded, it's within the confines of the match. So whilst he doesn't necessarily cheat, he, he does something a little bit cheeky, a little bit crafty, and he, he gets one over Angle. And Angle's anger at the end of it is absolutely magnificent as well. Great match. Really enjoyed it. So he does, Eddie Guerrero does lock his feet around the bottom rope in a small package. Yeah. (laughs) But that's very much nitpicking because this is tremendous. This is Angle in there with a wardrobe and he'd have a great match. And he's so good. Angle is so good. Like this is kind of the point where I feel like when he was invested in something, he was another level. And I don't mean to reference Dean Bowers again, but Oh, he's just absolutely tremendous. Like I said, so like his facial expressions, his physicality, like Tom said about like the anger in Angle when the boot comes off in his hand and the way that he charges at Guerrero. I just thought this was an absolute masterpiece. And this is what everyone is waiting for. And I think that this last sequence of matches that we're going to have, this is all that matters to people, quite honestly. And there is, in particular, the two world title matches, the disparity in quality between those two matches and everything else on the card is so vast that I think it's quite troubling going forward. But this match is beautiful stuff. Go on, England. I'm not quite as high on this match as you two, but I do think it's great. I do think it's great, Mm. but I just wasn't quite as high on it. I think they just, for me, spent a little too long on the wrestling wrestle match at the beginning. There's about eight, nine, maybe ten minutes of them just doing Mm. a lot of mat wrestling. And I think it took the crowd a little bit out of it. They just a little bit dampened their enthusiasm for these this sort of last three matches. They managed to get them back by the end. And I think it is a cracking match in the end. But that 
opening sort of 10 minutes for me just just took the edge off of it a little bit during that um matt resting right at the beginning i think that nick patrick is trying to keep up with it and falls over at one point yes, i think he, does, he manages yeah. to magnificently style it out to mm. make it look like he's trying to get in at some weird angle but no he definitely fucking stacks it i mean when they get going it's tremendous it's a bit when eddie misses a frog splash after blocking angles big belly to belly suplex off the top mm. And it's almost the first big move they do. So is Eddie Guerrero going straight for the victory with the frog splash before they've mm-hmm. done any other big moves? And I just thought, that's really good. I like that. So there were some really good bits of it. I really did like it. And I think you're right. Angle was on a, in a different planet at the time. He was just absolutely yes. spectacular. Yes. You know, it goes back to that thing. And it's difficult because I think a lot of people watched it. But I'm. you've said it before, Tom. It's such a shame that Angle had, what, six years of his peak years in TNA. Yeah. On, on a lesser stage, ultimately, regardless, you know, he did some great work and had some amazing matches, wrestled some of the best wrestlers in the world at the time, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, you know, that, that group of wrestlers. But it's a shame that that didn't happen on a bigger stage because it should have been and he deserved it and, it, and he was amazing. But the problem is, is that going back to the fact that he's calling Eddie Guerrero a, 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 a drug addict, Angle was. And that WWE knew it. That's why they let him go because they said, mm. you need to go into rehab and he wouldn't do it. And they said, well, in that case, we can't keep you because you are a liability to yourself and to um, the rest of the roster. And I think actually, if I'm honest, they wouldn't have let him go had Eddie Guerrero not died. I think they were worried yeah. they would have another Eddie Guerrero yeah. on their hands and they didn't want that. And understandably so, but also, you know, I, I think had that not happened, that angle may, may have been with the company longer. That also reeks of double standards, doesn't it? Like, you ain't going to go into rehab, so we're firing you. It's just kind of like, well, hang on. Like, I know you can make someone do something, but they're like, yeah, well, you're not going to do what we want you to do because we think it will save your life. So what we're going to do is we're just going to go off. We're going to effectively let you go off with all this lovely money that we paid you for the last X amount of years and potentially kill yourself anyway. I guess, though, there's there's an element of... It's Angle's choice to make. And I, and I do, mm. I actually do think that they did the right thing. I think the problem for me is that TNA hired him. Yeah. yeah. They probably shouldn't have hired him, to be honest, given where he was. Because as I say, he was potentially a liability to himself. And more importantly, if you like, because it's not their choice, the other people that mm. he works with. So, yeah, I think I kind of back wwe's play there because i feel like what else do you do do you keep Mm. i guess you could have kept him on payroll and said you're not working until you go to rehab but Mm. that's not going to force him into that choice is it because he's still getting paid so i don't know it's true i i'm 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 sorry with tink on this one old man that's all right it's fine (laughs) (laughs) i I think he's crying he's like i'm sorry maybe 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 they thought the fucking shame and ignominy of working in a stupid shaped ring in front of four people might make (laughs) Kurt Angle realize that it hit rock bottom but it took him a little bit longer than that and 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 to be honest TNA was as I've said before they were uh, a significant a significant program they they drew uh, they drew television audiences that are as big as WWE's are now I mean admittedly it's a different world but they were drawing at 1.2 million people so they didn't have a it wasn't a small show it just wasn't the biggest show. And that's shit. where Angle deserved to be. <laughs> Next up, we get the video hype for The Undertaker versus Kane, which starts with Kane burying Taker alive in a match, I believe, Survivor Series the year before. Mm-hmm. 
then holds a eulogy with Kane saying he betrayed himself and became one of you about The Undertaker. So this is Kane pretty much making our argument for us yep. <laughs> about The Undertaker being the American badass. I thought that made sense. If I'm being yeah. honest, I thought, I thought it was quite a good, quite good reasoning. I mean, um, yeah, it's it was it was really, really quite good. I thought I thought the video package was really good. I thought the cane came across as really sinister. I wish he wasn't such a cunt. So I'd, I'd praise him more for this performance. You know what? This made me think. Go on, wrestling. <laughs> Fucking come on. I just oh, I thought it was so good. And I can remember this being really good. This video package and a lot of the build and I really good stuff. And uh, yeah, then the match happens. <laughs> yeah. So the match is next. It's Undertaker versus Kane. It only goes for seven minutes, which I didn't realize until um, I've just read it. And obviously the Undertaker wins using the tombstone. Only one this time. At WrestleMania 14, it took three to put Kane away, but this time it only takes one. I felt like, again, given it was seven minutes, that they kind of rushed this match. It's almost like, yeah, I haven't got enough time, but we really want to do the elaborate entrance for the Undertaker. Mm. So we're just going to cut the, the length of the match. But to be honest, that was probably for the best, because I'm not sure mm-hmm. the Undertaker and Kane could really have gone for any longer and made this watchable. I thought it was perfectly reasonable as a match. Yeah, fine. Undertaker 12-0. The one thing I thought was quite disappointing about the match and maybe it would have changed it if it went longer but in the promo video there's plenty of magic in the build-up to the match yeah. you know there's there's canes flames not working there's the rings tilted up and i'd like to a little bit more of that in the match if i'm being honest one thing i do need to give a shout out to kane for as well and i'm getting a bit worried about this because i don't want to end up on some kind of like down some kind of weird wormhole but he might be a right-wing monster who doesn't care about a woman's rights to choose the, what they do with their body, but he's in incredible shape in this in this time of his career. He's, he is. He's absolutely ripped. I tell you what shreds. else he is as well, is I think a bloody good actor. I think incredible. he's really good during this. He is, con- like, throughout The Undertaker's entrance, he's like, no, I, I, I killed you. You're dead. Yeah. You're dead. I, I buried yeah. you alive. You're, not You're here. dead. You're not here. You're not and here. I thought it's I thought amazing. he was great. I thought he was really good. Yeah, I, I agree. And it made me think, oh, for fuck's sake. Do you know, I, I, want, I really, I really wanted to praise him because I thought he was brilliant. Uh, but I can't because he's a cunt, as we've all discussed. <laughs> the pop for Paul Bearer is great. And then the Woo! druids come out. Love a druid. I bloody love an Undertaker druid. And then the pop for the gong is just yeah. amazing. And then, then out he comes. Hat, long coat. Like you said, old man, wrestling. You know, yeah. he comes out and you're like, this is fucking amazing. I like the bit where the Undertaker's beating the shit out of Kane. And then uh, the ref- I think it's Charles Robinson again, the referee, tries to get involved. And the Undertaker just scares him out of the ring, which yeah. I thought was brilliant. The match is okay. It's better than I expected, considering that Kane and the Undertaker don't ever really click in the ring. Um, the fact that it's short is actually probably really good. The one thing that. <laughs> That did I did find quite strange at the end of the match is that the Undertaker wins after the one tombstone, like you said, and then he tries to do the eye roll but can't quite do it, <laughs> and his eyes don't go up high enough, so it just looks a bit special. Other than that, cracking, cracking match, absolutely fine, enjoyed it. Glad to see the back of Big Evil, the American Badass, all that shit. Give me Magic Undertaker back, and I'm happy. It wasn't really Magic Undertaker, was it? Let's be clear about that though as well. This is more a mix of the two for me. Yeah. This is kind of well, like there was some magic in the build-up though. There? there was, but the look itself is more dead man plus cowboy than anything mm. else. You know, it's not really quite the same dead man, which I think is fine by the way. I don't actually have a problem with it. It's I think an attempt to update the dead man gimmick 
I think it's done incredibly well. I think it works. I think it works. Yeah. I think this is effectively a match built on a bong, which is that bong and then that hit. That's what that's what you need, isn't it? You need the Undertaker coming down. I know you guys mentioned the shape that Kane is in. The shape that the Undertaker in is unreal. He is in unreal shape as well. This is two guys who are fucking built. And I fancy Yeah, if we got the whole podcast crew together, we wouldn't be able to take one of them down in this shape to be honest but i again i think there was a tremendous intensity to the start the undertaker just goes in just starts wailing on kane which is exactly what he should do and i thought this was absolutely what it needed to be I agree with both of you the father 757 instead of to be honest 1257 adds a lot to it and it did exactly what he needed to do i know he's a fucking cunt kane's fucking amazing in this he is selling his heart out to put over the undertaker big this reminded me the amount of work that's going on for king is the equivalent to the amount of work that goes on with uh, it's the corporation isn't it yeah the corporation when the undertaker comes back as american badass on uh, judgment day it's the equivalent amount of work just the amount of selling that's going on with king absolute credit of a human being but in character here excellent work and ultimately Kane made it because if this hadn't been Kane, it would have just been burying someone. And Kane, it didn't fucking matter, did it? It's Kane. People aren't invested in him enough for it to actually fucking matter that he yeah. gets buried. And like they kind of know that. They, I think, subconsciously, we all knew that when he buried him alive. It was like, well, he's going to come back and murder you, mate. It's got to be Kane. It's a <laughs> Ed Sink. Well, it's just gonna be May, and it's the Ed Sink song. Oh, Ed Sink! I thought you said Ed Sink. Oh yeah, you don't know that's him. That's the that's our cover band. That's the three of our Ed Sink cover band that we're gonna start, supported by Bobby Paul. Oh, wonderful! So that's the whole show. There, we've gone through everything. So we are nothing show. We are at the point of giving our overall verdicts, our rating out of ten, and our MVP. Let's start with Tom didn't think the show was very good it's four and a half hours it's overly long there's an absolute large amount of dross on here but i think the last three matches are pretty good i think the title match at the, the eddie grow angle match is really good the undertaker King match is very good for what it is considering it's mercifully short and triple h versus Shawn michaels versus chris benoit is an absolute cracker of a match the rest of it is absolutely fine but with some absolute toilet in there i'm going to give this a five i think my match of the night is going to be the main event the triple threat match and as i said my mvp is the cruiserweights seamstress excellent work excellent work i funny about this show because fundamentally i didn't think it's very good i don't think it's very well put together i think the match order is very strange there's far too many multi-people matches for my liking and I'm not as against them as you are, Tinky, like in terms of the booking and that, but I don't know, it's too many. But you come out of this show, Cena is made, I think, regardless of the fact that he's not world champion. He's made because he's got something to celebrate with. You've got Evolution take another step with Orton and Batista in particular. You're kind of getting them over a little bit. You've got Molly Holly, bold. Everyone loves being bold. I love it. You love it. You fucking will in a few years, you cunts. You've got Eddie overcomes the nasty racist, in effect. Undertaker comes back and you've put the championship on Benoit. It feels like 
and it doesn't work out this way obviously but it feels like a company that is and you said this at the start thinking like is very much looking like we're fucking short here of people we need to like build some people up and they kind of achieved that in the night it didn't work for me as a show though but i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a six because i think that all deserves consideration and i do think that the two main championship matches are really excellent undertaker king does exactly what it needs to do the rest of it if i never saw it again i wouldn't complain and quite honestly if you ask me to recall what this card is in two weeks time i would not remember so this show for me is very much a show of three parts and they are conveniently all equally an hour and a half long which is strange but that's how i watch this show three separate stints each an hour and a half long the first stint is the first four matches. It's got the Rock and Sock Evolution match, which I think is really good. Chris Jericho versus Christian, which I think is really good. The tag team match, which is throwaway. And the opener, which I think is decent. And I'm like, okay, that's a, that's a really decent little bit. And there's plenty of young talent showcased. And boy, did they need it, especially when you consider the fact they're losing Goldberg and Lesnar on the same night here. That They need some new stars. The second hour and a half is Toilet. It's absolutely one of the worst fucking things you'll ever see. It runs from... The Sable and Tory Wilson, Miss Jackie and Stacey Keebler, Playboy evening gown match through to the world women's title versus hair match between Victoria and Holly and includes the Goldberg Brock Lesnar farce. It is absolutely dreadful, with the exception of the Cruiserweight match, which is all right. But, you know, does it's got no chance of redeeming that hour and a half. The final hour and a half is the last three matches. And those last three matches are really decent. The two title matches are excellent. The main event for me is match of the night. It's absolutely quality. I don't know who my MVP is going to be. Possibly Eddie Guerrero, just because I can't think who else to give it to. And my rating is 7 out of 10, because actually, I think overall, this show's got plenty to speak for it. If you cut out that middle hour and a half and had a three-hour pay-per-view here, this would be a cracking show. This would be a really great WrestleMania for me. But that middle hour and a half, is it really takes a toll. It is just absolutely terrible and as i say includes some really dreadful stuff just bomb it off i don't know why suddenly on this year they decided we're going to expand wrestlemania to be stupidly long but they did and it is worse for it but overall i thought it was a decent show uh, giving it seven out of ten i don't think we got old man's mvp in match of the night you didn't no so i forgot to say as well in my little roundup that they also give Trish Stratus a lovely push here as well in terms of like turning her and like you said Tinky at the time like she looks like she's a horrible horrible nasty woman mm. when she turns in her facial expressions and that Ooh, MVP you know what it's pretty tough actually much of the night I am, I am gonna go the triple threat because I think purely because it's a triple threat I think that and the angle Eddie match are on a very similar level but I appreciate from how much wrestling I've watched and how many wrestlers I've heard talk about triple threat matches, just how difficult they are to do. And I'm going to give my MVP to... Me and Tinky for letting no, me you back know, on. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm actually going to give it to Trish because I did not enjoy that match at all. But come the end, because of effectively her work, I thought, you know what? That was passable. And they got a, they got a lovely little turn out of it. I've changed my mind. I'm going to give the MVP to Kane. Oh. I just think his performance is. I think his performance is amazing. I think it it, it deserves to be said. He was excellent. Mm. Obviously, he can't stand the guy, but his, yeah. he was brilliant. He was brilliant. So, in terms of where that puts WrestleMania 20 on the old 
league table, it is currently in sixth place of the shows we've covered, mm. behind mm. 17, 19, 10, 3, 14, and 15. So that's impressive. Doing too bad. In fact, that's 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 actually seventh. So it's 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 sort of more than halfway up the list doing pretty well for itself there certainly not what matt reported to us which is a rubbish show with which mm. is a one match show i didn't think it was a match show at all, at all. i think there are four matches on this that, are, that deliver but um, he, he also said that this best match was one of my worst ones <laughs> so yeah but i thought that was one of the four that were good yeah so uh, you know mm. I'm, I'm i'm not i said i'm not don't think he's wrong about the match that match being good i just don't think he's at all right about it being the best it's a it's a decent show this quite honestly like i said in my initial expectation i thought this was fucking dirt i thought this was going to be intolerably bad and i actually watched that first hour and a half up to the end of the evolution rock and salt match and then on sunday morning i watched the evening gown match up until the end of undertaker kane and that was a slog that was a real like that was a real tough tough outing until we got to Eddie Angle. So I think you've summed it up lovely, Tinky. Well done, you. As always. Anyway, moving on, guys. We've we've reached the end. It is time for us to to close today's proceedings. Old man, thank you very much for returning to save our day, save our bacon. We needed somebody uh, to come in and replace old Matty Roberts, and yeah. we hope to see you again in the not too distant future. Well, you never know. You never know. You never know. But always remember. Oh. <laughs> I'm out of practice, lads. I'm out of practice. But don't worry about my lack of practice. Just rate, review, and remember Ken Patera, who criminally wasn't included in the Hall of Fame ceremony. And Tom, thank you for your contributions as well. I need to sign off. I think I need to double down on this because of the MVP choice mm-hmm. of the night from you, Tinky. Just for, know, for good juju, you know, so... Glenn Jacobs is a cunt. Glenn Jacobs is an absolute fucking cunt. <laughs> this has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks' time with WrestleMania 21. Until then, take care. Da, da, da.